Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio, episode 168. Happy New Year to you, y'all. This is Dave. Happy New Year. This is Barry. This is Jean Dujardin. All right, then. Starting the year off with a bang. Outstanding. We um, could hear him. It's amazing. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's, it's outstanding. Uh, we are going to be skipping some of the usual stuff this year because we've got a lot to get through. Uh, for the first episode of the new year, we're going to skip what we watched this week. We're going to skip most of the news. we got one news note to do because we're talking about not only the best of 2011, but the worst as well. Um, I'm sure you're wondering, hey, where's episodes 166 and 167? Uh, I thought they were lost forever, and I just found them this morning, so they'll be getting posted shortly after this one. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> exactly, yeah. The one where we said we're the going the one on where hold. Barry uses the N-word too many times. That's why they were <laughs> lost. Yes. I'm, I was trying to come up with a, 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 a different word, but there it is. Okay, night uh, like M Night Shyamalan. Did I did I use that you word go. too many times? That's there you it. Go. Yeah, yeah, that's the yeah, one. That's the one. <sighs> Curse you, sir. All right, let's go ahead and just start things off with a bang. You know, we didn't even talk about what we've got for what came out theatrically this past weekend, but we can just chime in. It's all good. What came out? Well, it's not the greatest. I mean, on one hand, you do have one of the greatest animated films of all time, Beauty and the Beast in 3D. I don't know if the 3D was necessary. But and it has the, the short beforehand from Tangled, too. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay. So, well, this is, I mean, I think this is honestly one of the greatest animated movies ever made. So just the chance to see this in the big screen, great. Then you've also got Mark Wahlberg and Contraband. No, this is a Marky Mark there movie. There you go. Yes, we've talked about this. There are Mark Wahlberg films. There are Marky Mark films. This is clearly a Marky Mark films. This is like Shooter or one of those other yes. disposable ones. I don't even know who directed this thing. I have no clue, and I yeah. don't care. Uh, let's see, Joyful Noise, which Dave has seen. Yes, Dave has seen this. This is this is a new story in, in itself. Oh. Um, wider releases, you've got uh, the Iron Lady, of course, the Philadelphia uh, Law film about Margaret Thatcher starring Meryl Streep, which I've seen. Uh, Roman Polanski's film Carnage also got a really wide release, which is kind of shocking. It's even hmm. playing in Hawaii, which I wow. can't. This is a seventy-nine minute. Four character, one set art film. Like I, I, I can't believe it got such a wide release this week, but it did. In limited release, you've got Sing Your Song, the Harry Bonafonte film, and we need to talk about Kevin, the Lynn Ramsey film. So we can talk about what we watched as far as these go. Did you see any of these, Ethan? Uh, I've seen a few of them. Wait, run down the list again. I I'm can so, probably say which Sorry, yeah, we need to talk about Kevin, Sing Your Song, Iron Lady, Carnage, uh, Joyful Noise, Beauty and the Beast, Contraband. I've seen We Need to Talk About Kevin and Carnage. Okay. Okay. So I'll let y'all chime on that one because, yeah, get the good stuff out of the way first. Well, uh, relatively good stuff. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess we start talking about, we need to talk about Kevin. Um, this is a film I, I, I really, really, really did not like. Um, uh, I don't even know where to begin. I just thought it was a really shrill, artsy with a capital A horror film. Um, I thought that Tilda Swinton was completely wrong for her role, and I will never, even in an alternate universe, buy that she would ever be married to John C. Riley. Um, I thought it was really, really, really tacky in the way it dealt with the subject matter. I thought the performances by the young boys playing Kevin at different parts of their life were just kind of a, a film-length scowl. And I thought when we eventually do see what it is about Kevin that we need to talk about, I thought it was quite laughable. A lot of, you know, no question, this is a very, very well-made film made by a very talented filmmaker. This is, of course, the director of Ratcatcher and Morvern Collar, um, but I, I didn't believe a second of it, and I couldn't wait for it to be over. Ethan? Um, I like the film, but I'm honestly not that far off from you. Yeah. I'll mention that I've read the book it's based on, and the thing about it is that the first time I read the book, and I think I, I missed this also the first time I saw the movie, is... The idea of everything in being presented is just their fragments of memories, basically. Mm -hmm. You're only seeing the worst of this kid, so that's why he seems so comically evil. And it's like she, the character is kind of an unreliable narrator. 
Uh, that being said, though, I do think it is Lynn Ramsey's weakest film. Yeah. I think it's over-stylized, over-directed. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I disagree in the performances. I thought they were really good. Uh, Syabin Fallon from SNL was particularly amazing. Um, uh, what else, what else, what else? But I will say... I think yeah, I think it's a little easy to misinterpret the movie, but I do think it is a, a very flawed film. But it's it's worth seeing. Like it is a, a boldly cinematic film. So I've heard a few people tell me, Ethan, like yourself, that oh, I don't even know if you were necessarily even saying this, but I've heard people say that I do need to read the book. That the book is a much more full experience. Would you would you suggest that? Uh, I don't know. It's a good <laughs> book, though. It's worth reading. I don't I, I don't know if your thoughts would change that much, but. Okay. Uh, and Carnage, what did you think of Polanski's Carnage? I think I laughed just enough for it to get a pass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a limited movie not only in its audience appeal, but I think it's limited in how effective it is because uh, I don't think th- this isn't like Death in the Maiden, the Sigourney Weaver film that Polanski did, which is such a thrilling movie. It's a three character film, one set, and it's edge of your seat. It's frightening. It's it's just a really terrific, terrific adaptation of a stage play uh, that Polanski did. In this case. I could never forget that I'm watching a film play. The performances are so good, and the material is so kind of deliciously nasty, um, to use that moniker. I think that it, it, it I would say, I, I pretty much agree with Ethan on this. I think it, it does work, and it's well worth seeing. Um, I don't know if people really need to see this in the theater, though. Okay. You know, I didn't see it in the theater. So. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I like the film, and I love the way it's uh, it's bookended with the opening and closing scenes. That was a really nice touch. Um, I, I loved all the performances here, particularly John C. Riley's. Uh, I loved how his character initially seemed to be like the most sensible, kind of even-keeled one. And over the course of the film, he I think he's probably the most monstrous of the four of them, arguably. Um, yeah, I like the film. It is worth seeing, but uh, I don't think this is something that people need to rush out and see in the theater. Yeah, I think actually Christoph Waltz, to me, was the best in show. Like, I would have to agree he with does, you. He, he does the le- probably the least amount. Yeah. Like, it's a less kind of showy performance, but I, I think it stood out in a good way. And, uh, it's, yeah, it kind of, in a way, it almost it's almost like the performances, they sort of have to mug, yes. which I think is unfortunate. But overall, I, I did laugh. I don't know. I, I, I've read the, the, I was, the stage play was actually playing here in Montreal for like a month, and I wanted to see it. But I've heard that more, what was good about it was actually the original broad, the Broadway production, more of the actors were good than the script, but the script for this is pretty good, so I don't know. I keep hearing that the stage play is much funnier, that uh, kind of the baggage that the four film actors brought to it kind of drowns out some of the humor that there's, like, there's some moments, like, you know, uh, Kate Winslet at her most pathetic moment, or like Christoph Waltz at his most pathetic moment. Apparently it played a lot funnier on stage than in the film, because they are bringing kind of like a, kind of dramatic weight to some of their scenes. Hmm. But yeah, I, uh, you know, man, and Jodie Foster, uh, Jodie Foster's performance. On one hand, you could see it's it's probably the most abrasive and caustic, and possibly completely over the top in the film. Um, but I I certainly admired her uh, her commitment to her character. It's uh, I I can't I don't think I've ever seen her give such an in your face performance, and that has as much to do with the way Polanski has filmed this thing, which I thought was wonderful, as her performance, which is. Uh, 
if, if you want to slap any of these four people over the course of the film, I'd say she's definitely the one. <laughs> okay. So, uh, Iron Lady. Am I the only one who saw the Iron Lady? I think so. Okay. Yes, you are. I am. <laughs> good film. Good film. Uh, flawed. Flawed. Uh, um, I've been I've been using the you know the the hyperbole near great. Uh, there's a lot of things about the film that are great. The problem with the movie, uh, you know, this film about the life and career of Margaret Thatcher. The big problem is that it's bookended with this really, really terrible sequence that just stops the film. The movie doesn't get started for 45 minutes. Ooh. It's Margaret Thatcher, get this. I mean, like, every filmmaker is trying to be like, like you know, Orson Welles and do a Citizen Kane bookend, right? You know, you've got uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in the old age, old age makeup in, in uh, J. Edgar, you know, whether it's... And, and oh, no, a successful thing, I think, you know, like uh, Robert Downey Jr. in the old age, ma- old age makeup in Chaplin. In this case, it's... Meryl Streep playing a very old and uh, Margaret Thatcher dealing with dementia and she's talking to her dead husband. It's the ghost of her dead husband that only she can see played by Jim Broadbent and I, and I must say So I'm it's not, part Harvey. Yeah, and it's not a very good performance by Jim Broadbent I must say and the movie is 45 minutes of her talking to her dead husband and then finally, finally, finally we've got the montage of her best of career highlights and it's good. It's really good. Once the film really starts going, it's really, really compelling. It's even exciting the way it's filmed and whatnot. Um, but that bookend of her going back and forth, but it goes back and forth between her and her career highlights in the 80s and whatnot and her talking to Dennis the Friendly Ghost. And it's just stupid. It's really stupid. Wow. And, and, you know, and, and it's ridiculous because the whole movie is about how she didn't need men to define her. This is a woman who did not, you know, she really did rise to the top in a sea of men. And yet this movie is making it like she, you know, cannot let go of Dennis. And you're going like, no, she she never needed Dennis. She never needed anybody but herself. She's Margaret Thatcher. So it's uh, I, <laughs> it's a hit and miss in that sense. Uh, but no question, as you've heard, uh, Meryl Streep's performance is amazing. I would even go so far as to say this could be the best thing she's ever done in terms of performance, which hmm. is really incredible. And I've seen all of her films. She's a terrific actress, but she is just so incredible and so immersive. Uh, I think this could be her finest work. Amazing, amazing performance. So, All right, then. And I, I'm going to end it on Joyful Noise, aren't I? You are going to end on Joyful okay. Noise. Here's the thing. Joyful Noise is the kind of movie your parents want to go see and you're going to get dragged to, and they're going to love it. <laughs> and and there are cringeworthy moments in it, but honestly, really bashing this movie is like clubbing a baby seal. It's really kind of harmless. It, 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 <laughs> but at the same time, it's Sister Act meets Glee. And if that wow. if that works for Great you... Combo. Yeah, oh, yeah. If that works for you, you know you're the audience for this. If it doesn't... You know that you don't don't go out of your way to see it. Yeah, uh, Dolly Parton. If Madame Tussauds had created put a wax figure over an audio animatronic figure from Disney, that's kind of what you got in this movie. Aww. It, dude, <laughs> so no, it. That's it's sad. It's man. sad. It's sad. She's gorgeous and talented and wonderful, and I, I hate that. Yeah. 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 It's just oh, sad. Yeah, and the music it. I've got a lot of problems with this movie, but really it's not worth that going into. If you've seen the trailer, you know if you want to see this movie or not. And if you don't, follow that instinct. Mm. It, it's just kind of sad from top to bottom. I, I really see the movie offending a lot of church people, even though this movie seems like it's supposed to be like a Christian movie or something. Yeah, it's it, been it's been uh, marketed towards the heartland, as they say. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, you got... Yeah. Is the <laughs> heartland going to like it or no? I... There are parts of it that they're going to love, and there are parts they're going to be like, "Why did they put this in the movie?" Hmm. So, yeah, it, it's, I, you know, I think I've probably said more than it really deserves to be talked about. So, yeah, don't see it. Really, you don't need to. <laughs> All right. All right. So, uh, I guess we'll move on to what is coming out on home video this Tuesday. Let's see. On DVD, getting released, uh, the uh, thirty-three million dollar blockbuster uh, faith-based drama thriller cop movie, Courageous. 
Wow, it's a thriller? Apparently, people who've seen it found it thrilling. I have not seen this thing, but it it, it actually out. I think it, it either outgrossed or did as much money as Fireproof. So, Courageous Two, Electric Boogaloo, coming soon. I'm sure. Yes. Uh, George Clooney's The Ides of March. Did you guys see this? I did. Yeah, I, I thought it was good, but it, it hasn't really stayed with me. What did you think, Ethan? I didn't like it at all. How come? I don't know. Maybe this is a silly complaint, but I, I felt like 95% of the movie was people being mad at Ryan Gosling for having a meeting with Paul Giamatti. <laughs> I would completely agree with that. All right, then. And Ryan Gosling was not wearing his scorpion jacket, which I think would have helped the film immeasurably, but more about that later. Uh, the uh, Actually, the, the hit um, the hit concert film, Kevin Hart, Laugh at My Pain, did very well in, in, uh, in uh, limited release last year. Abduction, uh, the unfortunate return to filmmaking from John Singleton. John Singleton, Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, Higher Making Learning. Making Taylor Lautner an action star. And failing. I, I should mention that I saw that in the theater. <laughs> How is Abduction? <laughs> well, you'll hear about it later. Oh, okay. Okay, very good, very good. <laughs> is it this year's The Marine? This. Please tell me it is. You'll hear about it. Okay, fair enough. That'd be an interesting double feature, Submarine and Abduction. Um, available now on Criterion, Belle du Jour with Catherine Deneuve. Hello. If you guys haven't seen this, check it out. In Blu-ray. In Blu-ray, that's right. Also in Blu-ray, available on the Criterion Collection release, Traffic, Steven Soderbergh's film. I'd say, what do you, what do you think, his masterpiece? I think it's one of his best films. Have you seen it, Dave? I think, I I think Out of Sight is his masterpiece, but hmm. I agree it's one of his best films. Okay. Well, then we should talk about that sometime. I'd be interested because uh, I go back and forth between like Out of Sight and Solaris and uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Anyway, another episode, another show. Mysteries of Lisbon, a film that's appeared on a lot of top ten lists. Have you seen this one, Ethan? Uh, I've been meaning to. I, yeah. I felt really bad that I haven't seen it because Raul Ruiz died last year. Oh. But, yeah. That's sad. Well, on a less somber note, uh, Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star, uh, this was one of the biggest flops of last year. It had a huge, uh, actually quite a expansive, wide release, and uh, it was reportedly next to the film Creature, one of the lowest grossing films to ever get, get that kind of release. Uh, yeah, Nick Swarsden <laughs> and Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star. And then Christina Ricci's in this. How sad, Christina so Ricci. Sad. Available on Blu-ray uh, this week, uh, Dead Poets Society, one of the best films uh, of its year. I love this film. I think you do too, Dave. Uh, Peter Weir's film, wonderful. Uh, Dutch, the John Hughes Christmas movie. I was wondering if you were going to go there. Okay. Oh, yeah, I like this film. I do. It's a guilty pleasure. It's not great, but I think it's fun. John Hughes wrote this film, and it's with Ed O'Neill. Uh, License to Drive. I'm definitely mentioning this one. I was wondering if you are going to go there, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, with the Corys. I have this one on DVD, and I must say, the commentary by the producer and the director is one of the funniest, most enjoyable commentaries I've ever listened to. Uh, so, yeah, if anything, this this is a blind buy just worth listening to uh, for the commentary. And there's a lot of great extras on this, and it's a fun, stupid AD movie um, not that great although it took itself very seriously in 1987 Matthew Broderick Helen Hunt and a <laughs> chimpanzee I think in Project X yeah that's one of these films that was amazing when I saw it I don't, I don't know if it holds up and Steven Spielberg's still controversial adaptation of Alice Walker's Pulitzer Prize winning novel The Color Purple with uh, Whoopi Goldberg in her film debut and I gotta say in her best performance ever uh, Oprah Winfrey which she actually got an Oscar <laughs> nomination for she's very good in the film um, yeah well, Color Purple actually holds up it's actually a very very powerful very strong film unfortunately it's got a lot of Spiel- Spielbergian moments that do dilute it um, but it's actually a lot better than you've heard and it's still a very good film and that's it for this week right on okay well let's move on to the one bit of news we have and frankly I mean there's been a lot of news since we've, we've been on hiatus but there's only one piece that really is worth talking about and, and that would be uh, Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom trailer I, Ethan, I thank you for putting this out there because I completely spaced it, and 
I, I can't wait for this movie. <laughs> I feel like Wes Anderson, you always sort of take him for granted because just because of, in a way, how popular he is. But then I always, I kind of watch his movies again, and I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. Because I rewatched uh, Bottle Rocket yesterday mm-hmm. after this trailer. And uh, yeah, I always, I always love his films. So I'm excited for it. They do seem to exist in a universe that only he has concocted. <laughs> and, 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 you know, forgive me for using this comparison. I know you guys aren't going to like this. But like for me, he is a Tim Burton in the sense that there is a world that he likes. There's a world that he loves to play in. And that's the world that his films all take place in. And, you know, there's, there's nothing else like it. Um, I love his films. It seems like like concepts like love and revenge and vengeance and passion they don't exist in the same plateau as they do in the real world. You know, they're all yeah. very, very kind of quirky and weird in a in a in a way that only his films are. This, this is going to be such an amazing year. I'm really excited about talking about all the films that are coming out next year. I mean, we've got new films from like Whit Stillman and and Allen and all the great filmmakers. I mean, I think 2012 is going to be a great year. You know, I, going through our list, I'm just minor preview. I was kind of surprised at just how good 2011 was. I think it's easier to remember the sheer amount of crap that came out. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like, well, you know, it's 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 almost like the same thing every year. I'm, I'm sure, I don't know, I'd love to hear what you think about this, Ethan. It seems like from January to May, it's, it's, it's usually consistently pretty terrible. And then, you know, after the film festival circuit kind of hits in and these kind of titles start to stick out, it does become kind of the crazy rush towards December to see all the films that stood out at, you know, at, at Cannes and Sundance and Toronto and Telluride. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I find out there's always a few kind of hidden gems earlier in the year. Yeah. But I, for the most part, yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, like the year when we when Zodiac came out in like February. Yeah, that was a that was a nice thing because that was supposed to be like this this turkey that got you know it's like well it wasn't good enough for Christmas release and they yeah I think it was like February March and and uh, no I didn't think there was a better film that year and same thing with Become Rewind the year before which only I loved this that much oh but, I think uh, it was I, like I, number two on my list Are you I, me? yeah I still think it was best, oh, yeah. best of its year so yeah I, and this kind of you know Moonrise Kingdom it kind of feels like it's it's Rushmore with a sweeter center mm. it kind of exists in that world yeah in a lot of ways. Maybe it's just because it's a younger cast, too. That, that could be. But. Well, you know, it's like looking at that trailer. And by the way, I should say that Marty called me last night in the middle of the night and said, you have to see this trailer. It's Bruce Willis and Bill Murray in the same movie. You have to see this trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll check it out. And boy, was he right. It's an amazing trailer. I I, I got to say, like, having not even seen the film yet, but like, I mean, who hasn't ever thought of like, man, if, if only I could like have the love of my life like run away with me. Yeah, who hasn't th- who hasn't had that thought? I think it's such a wonderful like like fulfillment of a child fantasy right there. It looks looks great. Yes. All right, it is time to move on to the topic All uh, right. because we're splitting this. I don't think we're even doing a break this week because uh, we've just got so much to get through. And I, I'm I'm proud of us for getting through the first part in less than twenty minutes. Yay. Good on us. Uh, okay, worst of the year. Um, we we was your worst. Uh, I want to ask both of you guys this question. I kind of made my worst of the year list kind of a cautionary tale not just a case of you know, I, w- I want to you know just bash these movies because they suck it's like really people you shouldn't watch this movie hmm. or was it more hey it's time to break out the double barrel and, 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 and go to town well, you answer first Ethan well uh, I'll say that I think one, about one of the movies on this list I think are is sort of interesting that's why I put it at the very end and the rest of them I think should just be well some of them are kind of funny but the rest of them should be gone. Okay, <laughs> it's hard and feathered. Uh, for for me, it's really the ones that hurt the most. 
Okay. Um, yeah. So this yeah, is your, this is your cathartic. It's a it's release. a cautionary tale, and you know these are a list of ten movies that I really hope I never have to see again in my life. Um, I yeah. really hate these films, and and yeah. uh, and you know, and I'll just jump to this. I mean, the the Lynn Ramsey film is on my list, and and yeah, it's a film that's been very well made. But uh, I mean, it, it hurt as much to watch as any of the any of the the more studio films that are on the list. These are movies I, I genuinely, really passionately disliked. Only one of the movies on my list is one that I I. I get vehemently angry every time I think about it. <laughs> the rest of them are bad. All but right, let's get to it. Okay, so so since you, you kicked off, I'll let you kick it off there, Barry. Okay. Since you got the one. All right, well, you know, speaking of movies that came out between January and, and May, there's a lot of those on this list, of course, but uh, I got to say, um, you haven't lived till you've seen Dave Matthews try to shove a coconut up his butt um, just to prove something to Nicole Kidman and Jennifer Aniston. I'm talking about Adam Sandler's Just Go With It. This is a scene from the movie. I didn't just make that up. Uh, just Go With It, uh, which came out. And it was actually a, quite a successful movie. And it just shows that Jennifer Aniston, man, like she hasn't she hasn't done, she hasn't given a performance since Mike White's uh, The Good Girl, which she was so good in. And she continues to do these terrible movies, but I think this could possibly be the worst film she's ever done. This is definitely one of the worst Adam Sandler films. Uh, no, I have not seen Jack and Jill yet. I'm sure that would definitely merit a place on my list. So just just pretend this is Jack and Jill if you've already seen Jack and Jill. But yeah, just go with it. Definitely makes number ten for me. Um, painful, awful, unfunny, dreadful. Uh, strangely filmed in Hawaii for most of the part. I'm sure they had a really wonderful time out there. I definitely didn't have a wonderful time watching them. Bummer. Bummer. Um, honestly, I, I have a number one, and then everything else just kind of sucks. Okay. So I don't have them numbered, but I'll, I'll, I'll go next. I have got a... This is the first time I think I've ever put one of the, the movies from the Stars Denver Film Festival on my worst of the year list. But Dance City just was such an awful, awful film. What should have been a film... that This is the Dance Korean Town, film. The, yeah, Dance Town. The, it's Dance Town. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. I, Dance Town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> it was just such a bad film. It started off very promising, which is why... It kind of would be at the bottom of my worst of the year list, like maybe the least crappy, because it starts off very interesting and very compelling, and then it just descends into into the the emotional torture porn of I hate my life and the entire world's against me, and I'm gonna go try to kill myself. And then you have the girl who randomly is just in there doing her thing, and then right the ending scene is her like asphyxiating herself or whatever the heck it was. And yeah, yeah, I like this film a little more than you did. <laughs> I did because I think it is an interesting. The first kind of, half hour is good. Yeah, I think it is interesting this depiction of this 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 woman who lives in North Korea who who makes her way to South Korea. I found that interesting and grossing, not to mention unique. But uh, I would agree with you. This is one of these movies. That, you know, it's like it, this is an interesting thing to talk about, and we'll we'll just briefly touch upon it. The whole idea of these movies that. Uh, are so predictably downbeat, so mm-hmm. predictable in like like how pessimistic they are. It gets to the point like, okay, this is clearly a movie where someone's going to end killing themselves or shooting themselves in the head or getting hit by a car or having an abortion that goes badly. You know, like these movies are starting to become so predictable. You know, whether it's a major film or an art film, it's like it's starting to become like the new car chase. You know, so yeah. I, I liked it more than you did, but I see what you're saying. This movie does it wallows, wallows when it does need to wallow. Yeah, I almost got a drink at the reception afterwards. Just like, okay, you're giving me something for sitting through <laughs> Get that some movie. Shots, some dance sound shots. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. All right, Ethan, what, what, what do you want to start off with? Okay, again, the number 10, this is the film that I think is at least kind of interesting in a way. And I debated leaving it off my list, but it was between that and a film from a director who I deeply love and I didn't want to beat up on him. And I decided I'd rather beat up on this instead. Okay. So my number 10 is Sucker Punch. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's music to my ears to hear that on your 10 worst list. Yeah. So yeah. The, the problem with, the thing with Sucker Punch is there's the people who've defended it have said, well, you know, it's this movie about, about 
female empowerment and how women are viewed and the male gaze and females using sexuality as power and whatnot. And some of the concepts that Zack Snyder has are kind of like weird enough that they could be fun. But the ultimate problem with is not the kind of filmmaker who do satire. He takes himself too seriously and he indulges too much in Zack Snyder-isms to be able to do satire. So Sucker Punch becomes ultimately a very hypocritical film, in my opinion. Hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think that my... This, oh, you know, I didn't put this movie on the list because it barely missed, but Lucky McKee's The Woman. Uh, I felt very similarly that way because there are people who are like, this is a women's empowerment movie. And I'm like, this movie is not about women's empowerment. I'm sorry, it's hmm. not. And it, it's demeaning to women. And I think Sucker Punch ultimately is. If he was trying to go for sarcasm and make some kind of point, um, yeah, he missed it. I'm going to shut up about Sucker Punch because it's it's further up on my list, but we'll get okay, there. Okay, yeah, it's on my list too, so I'll, I'll just say I went ahead and went out of turn then because the movie is, is it's a really it's a set of really bad covers of music videos. Oh, I was going to mention that. I, I considered leaving it off my list, but then I remembered that shitty cover of Where Is My Mind. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's, it's back on there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. That I, this is one of those movies people try to defend it, and I, I just don't understand it. I just say, you know, I good on you, good for you. I'm, I'm you're not going to convince me. Sorry. Yeah. So, Barry, what you got? Uh, for me, number nine is a tie, and I know this sounds like a like a cop out, but no, no, no. There, the, there is a connecting point here, and that would be Nicolas Cage. I love this actor. I love this actor. I will see everything Nicolas Cage does because even if the film is terrible, he's usually pretty enjoyable. And I got to say though, of the three films he did in 2011, I am shocked to say that the best film was was without question uh, Joel Schumacher's Trespass. That was by far the best film that he did last year. Uh, tying at number nine would be Drive Angry in 3D and Season of the Witch. Drive Angry 3D is someone who is trying way too hard to, to make a grindhouse film. It is tacky and cheesy, stupid, sexist, racist, misogynist, and idiotic. Just terrible. And then you got Season of the Witch, which is kind of like the worst movie that you've never seen on the sci-fi channel. Just a terrible uh, historical slash horror film uh, that starts off trying to be kind of like ironclad, and then it ends up uh, being like like the bastard son of Van Helsing. It's just a terrible, awful film from Dominic Sena, who has made good films. Um, so unfortunately, I'm sad to report that Nicolas Cage, um, for the most part, the movies that he did in 2011 were were really bad, really, really bad. And this is a this is a guy who's capable of so much and could be so much fun. And I guess I gotta say, I'm even looking forward to the new Ghost Rider movie because at least it looks like he's in his element. These two movies, it looks like he was really, really lost, and he just kind of let the style carry him. Um, but seeing Nicolas Cage walk through a movie is sad because when he is actually engaged, he's a lot of fun to watch. Even in something like The Sorcerer's Apprentice, it looks like he's having fun there. It looks like he's actually trying to create a character. And these movies, he basically was just along for the ride. Okay. I, I, you know, seeing Ethan's list, I'm just going to skip because my his next one's on my list too. So I guess I'll just pile on. Go ahead, Ethan. Number nine would be Green Lantern. Ooh, yeah. In a year full of uh, comic book films, <laughs> while ultimately the other Captain America, Green Hornets, uh, or X Men, right? Yeah. They all, they all. Well, ultimately, they're all pretty formulaic forgettable films at least they all brought something to the table in yeah. terms of comic book movies maybe an interesting setting an interesting character or whatnot it's like most generic bullcrap it, it was generic and I, I it pained me to put this on my list because i am a huge green lantern fan and hal jordan is my favorite green lantern by far 
And this movie was just, I mean, you look up Wasted Dictionary in 2011. Wait, wait, Wasted Opportunity in 2011 in the dictionary, and and there you go. Uh, This movie had a lot going for it initially. I think Mark Strong was good as Sinestro. I thought the CG and stuff on Oa was actually pretty decent. But the problem was they spent hardly any time there. Most of it was on Earth with really crappy, hackneyed plot to try to get people in, and the story was just bad. Ryan Reynolds, I think, was okay as hell, but... Say, Peter Darsgaard was very funny in it, though. No, oh, I, that was the <laughs> dumbest freaking... This movie just pissed me off because of how much of an opportunity it wasted. Peter Sarsgaard was out there in like Christopher Walken world with his performance. It's a, yeah. It's almost like I don't know if it was a bad performance or just a really committed performance that belonged in a much different film. But he's but even just like looking at his hairline makes me laugh. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Blake Lively, man, I can't think of an actress who <sighs> did a better performance as a mannequin all year. I mean, yeah. she just just added nothing, nothing to this film. Yeah, had this movie been eighty percent in outer space, it, I think it would have been. A ha- I think we would have seen a lot better film. But this movie, because that's where the, the whole comics like belong. It, who cares about Earth, frankly? Because the guy has a power ring that can obliterate pretty much anything. Why stick him on Earth? I don't know if Mark, uh, excuse me, um, uh, Martin Campbell, the director, I don't know if he just didn't find the right consistent tone for this. Um, I, I would say like he didn't pick the right actors, but no, I mean you've got you've got Tim Robbins and I think Angela Bassett is in mm-hmm. this movie. I mean I love those actors. Uh, but CCH Pounder should have played that part. Sorry. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, I love CCH Pounder. Um, there's just this movie just did not work. It just it it felt like it was trying to be Top Gun and it was trying to be Iron Man. And it was trying to be so many different things and it just ended up being nothing of those things. And it, I think it feels like a comic book movie that would have come out in like 2001. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, like at the beginning of the, of the comic book stage. Yeah, like, I guess I could see yeah, that. But yeah, like a double feature with like the original Fantastic Four films, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that this is that, that was the movie I was Not absolutely... Good, though. Yeah. Nope. nope. I, this is the movie I was absolutely the saddest to put on my list, but oh no, it belongs there, for yep. sure. Yep. Like I, I see the three-disc super edition, the extended cut of it, for like 10 bucks on Blu-ray combo, and I still can't bring myself to get it. For me, it's That's watchable you know. enough that it wouldn't end up on my list, but I did not like this film one bit. I, one you bit. still you haven't seen Emerald Knights, have you? The animated no, yeah. Green Lantern. No, I've heard this. That's the one with it, Nathan Fillion, right? Yeah, yeah, blows this thing out of the water. And it's like when the animated films that are it's essentially an anthology story that's like an hour and ten minutes long beats the crap out of the full feature film. You know, there's a problem. There you go. So yeah, what's, what's next on your list? Barry? Uh, the Big Year. Um, very shocking to see Steve Martin, Owen Wilson, and Jack Black together in a bad film. Separately, yes, but together in a bad film from the director of uh, The Devil Wears Prada. I mean, I, of course, this is also the director of Marley and Me, so I guess I got what I asked for. Um, but strangely, this is, <laughs> this is just one of these films where nothing, nothing works. There's not a single laugh in the film about three guys uh, who are birders. Um, the movie basically lets us in on the less than interesting world of birders, men who spend all year round, all of their money, all their resources, all their time searching for different species of bird, and at the end of the year, they tally up the number of birds they see, and whoever has the bragging rights of how many different species of birds they saw uh, basically wins bragging rights. There's no money involved. It's just all about you know how many species. So people become addicted uh, to looking after these species of birds, an idea that probably would have been pretty compelling for a documentary, but for a comedy, it is not even remotely funny. There's a scene in the movie where Owen Wilson's wife uh, or girlfriend I can't remember which she's in the hospital 
and Owen Wilson decides instead of to see his girlfriend in the hospital, he he learns that oh my God, there's a red robin that's that's unearthing in in Mount Winnicaca. So he like leaves and gets on a plane to go see this bird instead of visiting his girlfriend. The scene is supposed to be hilarious, and you're just going, this is just really sad, bizarre behavior. And the movie never explains it. You never really understand why these guys would be so obsessed looking for birds all over America. The direction is flat. The performances are flat. Nothing in this movie works. The only interesting thing I can offer about this movie is that I saw it with an audience full of birders. Birders. In fact, the Colorado Bird Watching Association had a screening of the film, and at one point in the movie, this particular species is fluttering in slow motion by Steve Martin, and Steve Martin's looking at it with such awe, and the guy behind me goes, that's not what they do! <laughs> and that was the one time I laughed in the film, because I thought, wow, this is the guy. He, The, the movie was made for this guy, and he is here, and he is loving this film, but I, I thought this film was just worthless. Okay. All right, I'm, I'm actually going to steal one, one from Ethan's list. I think this is the last one we have in common, sir. But uh, Paul, I'll, we'll just get that one out of the way. Mm. I, I, in a way, I have softened on this film, but it, in a way, I haven't. I just think that the film is a colossal failure on every level. That's Other than the capturing the Friedman's joke, not funny at all. <laughs> there you go. I, we've kind of beat that one to death, so I think that I, that's all I need to say about it. Do you need to chime in with anything else on it? Ethan? I just said what I needed to say. All right. I like the Steven Spielberg cameo. I thought that was a funny, like, it felt like it was they were trying to make a moment that could have been fitting for Spaced, and I thought it was fine. You know, it was like the one part in this whole movie, what, what, it's like, what, 30 seconds long? I thought it was funny, but that's it. There it is. Yeah. All right, cool. All right. Well, Ethan, do you want to just let, let that be your pick for this round? Oh, yeah. Okay, Barry, your turn again. Uh, we need to talk about Kevin. And, you know, again, I can't stress enough that this is a movie made by a very talented filmmaker, and no questions. There, there, are, there are moments that are really striking and visually interesting in this movie, um, but I found this film to be completely obnoxious. And I have to be honest with myself, and I think this is something that everybody needs to really consider. If this movie were made by somebody I didn't know, if this movie were made by an unknown, I'd, I would be really, really hard on this film. And I can't help but be a little biased. This is Lynn Ramsey. This is director of Ratcatcher, which is a movie that really, really affected me. So I want to I wanna be nicer to it. I do because I know how talented she is. But frankly, if Michael Bay had made this film and this was like his first art <laughs> film, I'd be like, well, clearly he can't even make an art film, right? Um, yeah, there's, right, there, this is a movie I just I found myself really, really disgusted with. There's a lot of really interesting ideas in there. This I think the film is valuable for the conversations it brings up afterwards more for anything else in the film. Okay, so you got your movie that a lot of people liked that you didn't like. This is a tough one because, yeah, this is one of these movies that pops up on a lot of 10 best lists, and uh, I've got a, you know some, some movie critic colleague friends who uh, or completely disagree with me about that. And I, and I respect their seeing this movie as like, well, it's, it's anti-child and it's about our, our natural fear of raising children or whatever. That, that's fine, but, uh, I mean, I, you know, for me, this movie is more like the really bad 2006 remake of The Omen than it is anything substantial. And it, and, I, and I'm being honest here. I mean, this movie, I mean, there's a scene in the film, to briefly describe it, there's a scene in the movie where, where the mother catches uh, uh, Kevin violently masturbating, and then he looks at her and sneers at her while he continues to masturbate and smile at the same time, and we're supposed to go, oh, oh you know, it's just one of these <laughs> stupid, stupid movies. And I won't give it away, but like what we eventually find out that Kevin did at the end, it's so ridiculous. It's so silly, and I know it's meant to be more symbolic than anything, um, but I just I couldn't take this film seriously, especially considering that it's supposed to be this comment on on post Columbine America. I just uh, I just thought it was an idiotic film made by a really great director. Okay, well, well, now it's my turn to bring up a movie that a lot of people liked and I just hated and despised, and that would be a film backed by one Mr. Guillermo del Toro. Yes, that would be <laughs> oh, Don't man. Be Afraid of the Dark. Here we go. Um, you know, I will grant the film this. It is very atmospheric. 
the, the, the atmosphere and the tone is dead on there. If the characters weren't just the dumbest, blappity bleeping people on the ever in a horror movie, I probably would have it would have gotten off the list. But the stupidity of the movie and Guy Pierce's hair <laughs> make this film belong on this list. Completely agree about the hair. <laughs> yeah, Guy Pierce's hair, like it, it takes away from that movie as much as like Ryan Gosling's jacket in Drive, like helps that film. No, I, I agree with you on the hair. There you go. See, I, I wanted to give you a, a, at least a token that you could <laughs> yeah, agree yeah, on. Yeah, so, I could, I agree yeah. with you on that, Dave. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay, all right, Ethan, I'll let you go ahead next. Uh, my number seven is Beastly. Ooh, that, I don't sucks. even know why I've seen this movie. Wow, that almost made my list. Thank you for bringing up Beastly. I think I was home one day, <laughs> alone. My roommate was at something. I didn't have anything to do. I was like, oh, I'll download Beastly. Uh, that was my day. And that was a mistake. I don't know if I have uh, that much to say about it beyond that. Oh, I guess I should I should mention it. it's intentionally funny movie at times. Like Every time Peter Crouch, only beautiful people are successful. It's hard not to. I didn't know, and I'd like to hear what you think of this, Ethan. I didn't know whether uh, Neil Patrick Harris was in on the joke in appearing in this movie or if he was going down with the ship. <sighs> yeah, hard to say. Uh, I, I, I saw. I saw. Message, it. Though. <laughs> Beauty is within. That's right. And I think they even put that on the poster, so you don't even need to see the film. This was a pretty bad year for its actor, lead actor. I can't remember what his... I know his last name is Pettifer. He's a Mark <laughs> Pettifer, Matthew Pettifer. He also starred in I Am Number 4, which is Ooh, another great film... actor. Another film that barely, barely missed my, my 10 worst list. But yeah, this guy is... Uh, you know, he's a handsome guy, but uh, um, an actor? I don't know. I don't know. And I, I, don't, I certainly didn't get that from this movie or I Am Number 4. I think he's dreadful in both movies. All yeah. right. Yeah, Beastly is ghastly. It is a terrible film. <laughs> okay, Barry, what you got next? Uh, this is a film that Dave and I saw together at the uh, Mile High Horror Fest, uh, Chillerama. Chillerama. I almost put it on the list. Chillerama. And and I know what you're going to say. Yes, I know. Yes, I know. There is a 10-minute, what, let's, let's be fair. It's like 15. 15, okay, fine. 15, 20, let's whatever be fair. Yeah. There's a 15-minute sequence in the film called The Diary of Anne Frankenstein. Let's be completely honest. It's very funny. It's very good. It is a diamond, diamond, surrounded, surrounded by by, by feces. Uh, uh, Chillerama is one of the worst, worst films of the year. It's meant to be a tribute to drive-in horror movies made by guys who know nothing about drive-in horror movies. It is, uh, it, it's, it's as bad as one of those Meet the Spartans, epic movie, superhero movie sort of films. Um, it is just drenched in semen and poo, and it has no idea how to be funny, and it's two hours long. This is one of the most punishing films I saw this year. Uh, thankfully, Christian Toto, who is also a, f- a, fan, a fan and friend of this site, who loves horror films, he agrees with me. This is one oh, of yeah. the, this is a terrible, terrible film. There are a lot of bad horror films this year. There are a lot of bad horror uh, uh, homages and, and uh, spoofs, but this is, I think, by far the worst. I thought this was just a dreadful movie. Boy, what a, what a chore it was for us to sit through this thing i remember leaning over and asking so do you want to leave yeah yeah anytime anytime <laughs> and, and yeah i i will say you know had had the diary of anne frankenstein not made me pull a complete 180 on the film for that portion of the film it would have been my worst of list like it, it was within a hair's breadth of, of being on that list yeah. but i laughed so hard during that portion of it that yeah well, it's not something i'm ever gonna watch again it's not something I'm ever, well i might you know it's on netflix i might skip straight to that part of it 
and watch that part and True. then just you know delete it i think we we're both like oh it's getting better it's getting better but no this is this is piece of garbage it really is it's made by four directors uh and I can't say I've liked any of the films they've done. And this is just, it, it's just, it, this is putting four directors together and they just kind of make this <laughs> ungainly beast of a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, this, this one kind of is a shooting a fish in the barrel kind of way, kind of thing. But uh, Red Riding Hood was just. Oh, yeah. Another movie that a failure, made my list. On, a failure on every single level. Yep. Like, Amanda Seyfried can act. Oh, That's yeah. the annoying part of it all. Yeah. It was, this could have been a good film. This could have been an interesting movie. But no, we're going to make it Twilight. Yes, and yeah. even and, and Twilight was even a better movie than this. I think. Oh, I agree. I agree. They tried very, very, very hard to make it like Twilight, but it wasn't fun. It was really grim, strangely, and not brothers grim, but I mean like grim and somber in a way. Like it just wasn't enjoyable. It was grim and somber in a very boring way. Very yeah, very murky. Uh, even when when Gary Oldman can't save a movie. I mean, this is this is not like Nicolas Cage where he's hit and miss. I mean, Gary Oldman is a magnificent actor consistently, and his bad movies are far and few in between. But I mean, this is this is. Even Easily one of the most embarrassing movies on his resume, and and poor guy. I mean, he tries, but this, the whole mystery behind the movie isn't very well done, very well established. I mean, the set looks like the Ewok Village, but mm-hmm. in a kind of a low budget, clunky way. I mean, clunky. I mean, that's Ewok that's Village meets, meets Germany in in the winter. Sure, there you go. <laughs> sure, there you go. Oh, yeah. Did you see this, Ethan? No. You're a wise man. You're not missing anything, man. This is like a, a great double feature to Beastly. Just a really bad modern fairy tale kind of film. If you've got a... Never mind. I was going to say something very inappropriate there. Okay. Uh, Ethan, go ahead, sir. My number six is the aforementioned Abduction. Yep. It, which isn't higher than the list because it's at least one of the funniest movies of the year. <laughs> okay, so this with the Marine, we'd be good to go. Um, yeah, I saw this in the theater and... Uh, it was it was quite a fun time, I gotta say. Uh, Taylor Lautner's facial expressions, like he's a great physical comedian, I think. Okay. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's just just a great story too. Lots of twists and turns, like how uh, Taylor Lautner's parents are both white. Like great. <laughs> great, great movie. Just a lot of a lot of action. It's a thrill ride. Classically shot, good three-act structure, great, great leading man, lots of charisma, great, great chick, good, good supporting cast, lots of good actors, great, great score, good soundtrack, the whole nine yards. Okay. We're gonna win the, gold, gonna win the Golden Globe. <laughs> all right then. Ooh. Now, now I kind of have to see this movie though. Yeah, no, I'm curious. I'm all, I'm all for a bad comedy, and yeah, this sounds like it. Absolutely. He's always been consistently hilariously bad in the Twilight movies, but hey, he's he's the star of this thing. So. Yeah, yeah. Like every time he opens his mouth, no, really, I'm straight. Yeah, okay. Oh, uh, there we go. No, 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 just There's in the that, context I, of that movie. I think his worst scene in the movie, though, is when he's trying to be funny. It's so just painfully awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't Sigourney Weaver in this? Yeah, she plays his uh, psychiatrist who yeah. may be something more. Okay, I have to see if this is what on. What is with her? Like, she did this and Paul. Like, like Sigourney Weaver is awesome. She doesn't need these these bad movies and these bad supporting roles and these bad movies. A lot She's of better. good actors in it, too. Like, uh, Alfred Molina. Wow. That just hurts. That just, that's that's wrong on yeah. every level. Oh, uh, I, need to, I need to see if this is on, available for streaming on Netflix, because if it is, it's going in the queue. Oh, Abduction? Yeah. <laughs> I have to. 
if it's there. Um, in the meantime, go ahead, Barry. What, what, what's next on your list? My number five is one that kind of shocked me because I don't know if I was expecting the best film of the year, but I was expecting a pretty good film. Um, uh, and that would be Tom Tom Hanks's film, Larry Crown. I just watched that thing you do last night, and I gotta say, I still think it was one of the best films of its year. I think it's one of the great rock and roll movies. It's a gentle and sweet movie, but it's a great film. Everything about that film is great. The performances, uh, the screenplay really captures its time and era. That film feels really genuine, despite the fact that it is kind of a watered-down version of rock and roll. Nothing in Larry Crown feels like it exists in the real world, um, and that's not even the biggest problem with it. The problem, one of the biggest problems, is that it's not even remotely funny. It is tacky. It is strange. It takes really strange, strange twists. I mean, one of the weirdest things is that, you know, Tom Hanks loses his job and the whole movie is it's not so much about him trying to find a job. It's basically about him trying to find his own self-worth. He gets it from this young African-American girl who becomes kind of his mentor and shows him how to dress cool and act cool and, and join the scooter gang. I mean, it's as weird as it sounds. It's really strange and bizarre. And Julia Roberts, who uh, has been hit and mostly missed for me my entire life, I mean, with the exception of a few films that we've talked about, like I think for the most part, I think she's a pretty rotten actress. I've never really liked her that much. Um, this is one of her worst, worst performances although hey she's got a film coming out this year that could very well eclipse that for being a bad performance of course i'm talking about the tarson film um yeah yeah but um yeah larry crown i mean it most people think of it as the scooter film um because of the trailer and whatnot and i think those are the people who are lucky enough not to see the film it's just depressing how bad it is it's depressing how bad tom hanks is in this film he just kind of smirks and aw shucks his way for the through the role um this is a really gifted and energetic comic actor i don't know what is happening to him um, and I can't talk about his new film yet, but I will. I was going to ask you. No, okay. No. And that's not on the list because it's technically not opening uh, until this year, but more about that film, which I can't talk about right now. Oh, um, well, you can talk about it next week probably, can't you? Next, it I sure okay. will, yeah. Okay. But yeah, Larry Crown, uh, what a what a disappointment. Um, it's just, just one of these comedies that just, it's one of these movies not even worth watching on an airplane ride. It's just, just a total, complete and utter waste of time. It's the kind of movie you like you watch while you're like, I don't know, folding socks on Sunday afternoon while it's on TBS. It's that kind of film. No, just just total Oof. waste waste of time. Ow. Okay. Uh, let's see. I think I'm one ahead of everyone, so I'm going to skip this turn and let Ethan just go next. Uh, my number five is Horrible Bosses. Mm, yeah. I am completely baffled yeah. that anyone found this movie funny. It's like just the most brutally unfunny movie I've seen all year, well, aside from one another that will appear on my list. But like, it's like it, it, the fact that even like it tries to be a dark comedy is like an embarrassment to the term dark comedy yeah and like oh charlie day is just the worst yes like oh oh (laughs) don't hold back yeah yeah charlie day is it's almost like a bad that's i have to say (laughs) charlie day is like a bad uh like a bad edward burns you know, like he's he's got this really whiny, really whiny voice, and it's just it just doesn't help him at all. It's just he's not funny. This is obnoxiously unfunny. Um, the 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 one scene in the film that I laughed at, I don't know if you agree with this, Ethan, but like the the reference to snow falling on cedars, I did laugh at that. I thought that that kind of came out of left field. I thought that was funny. Um, and and of course the the name of of Jamie Foxx's character, I thought that was funny for about like the first the first few times they used it, but after a while, it's just kind of another joke that just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, this useless film, and I'm amazed that it was such a huge hit. People love this film, and I I don't get that at all. I really don't. Fact that. It was like somewhat critical 
Bidwell and Hall Pass was like kind of overlooked because not that Hall Pass is this masterpiece of comedy, but it's like a million times better than Horrible Bosses. Hmm. Yeah, there are a lot of yeah. You're, I appreciate you bringing those up. I mean, there, there are a lot of bad comedies this year that were quite successful. I guess which just shows like how how much the bar has just kept dropping. Another one like barely made my list, but it was really unfunny and aggressively unfunny. It was Bad Teacher with uh, with Cameron Diaz. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, Barry, why don't you go ahead and kick us into number four? Number four would be uh, The Ripoff. It should be a remake. They should have just changed the title. That would have made <laughs> me so happy. But instead, no, no, no. They're like, they completely rip off Barbe Schroeder's uh, Single White Female, a movie I really like. Um, and I still, I don't care if it's 20 years old. No one remembers it. I like Single White Female. Um, but The Roommate, Man Alive. Um, what an interesting contrast, especially if you watch those two films back to back. I mean, Single White Female is genuinely erotic and disturbingly violent and psychologically rich and beautifully acted. Uh, the Roommate is none of those things. The Roommate is PG-13. It is not sexy. It is not suspenseful. It is not scary. Um, but it is hilarious, and that has everything to do with Leighton Meester's performance. Uh, what Taylor Lautner clearly is for abduction, she is for The Roommate. This is one of the most unintentionally hysterical performances of the year. I don't know how she's... She has to sweep the rat this year she has to um yeah the the roommate is a dreadful 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 film it is uh by far the worst of the recent screen gems non-gems uh released that have been uh, total ripoffs of previous films all right so coming up on my number four uh if you want to call it that whatever uh i hate when i have to put jason statham on my list but the mechanic was just such a god-awful movie I mean, people say, you know, you should really watch the Bronson film. It's such a good movie. It's so great. It's all this, 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 and this. And after I said I was disappointed, a coworker asked me, well, what about when they did this or this or this? I'm like, yeah, they didn't do any of that stuff. This was just a really <laughs> boring movie that had no point at the end of the film. It was just a mean-hearted, a mean-spirited film that wasn't that entertaining. Mm. So When I saw it in the theater, the audience applauded at the end. Really? Because I, they enjoyed it or because it was over? Because they enjoyed it. Oh, okay. They liked him getting his comeuppance at the end. Okay, yeah, because, yeah, that was funny or something. Uh, I think something all three of us realize is that there's there's so many films that are where the audience are kind of lemmings, you know, with all due respect to paying movie theater audiences, but let's face it, like, you get a room full of people who are really digging on something, they will applaud and cheer, and, and you know... It'll it'll be for a really bad film, but sometimes films could be like that. You know, it could be like a really bad wrestling match where it's like, well, the acting is bad, the moves are fake, and it clearly isn't isn't even remotely real. But like, you know, you'll applaud and cheer. What the heck? Well, if it's John Cena or The Rock, yeah, yes, because those are the De Niro's, the De Niro's, you know. But we're talking about like you know the Leighton Meester's and and Taylor Lautner's of wrestling. Okay, dude, Leighton Meester is good. Come on. <laughs> Well, you know, Dave uh, told me to see uh, Country Strong, which I did, and I got to hand it to her. She's good in that film. Mm-hmm. So I'd much watch so. watch Gossip Girl. <laughs> I still can't bring myself to even start in that. I thing, won't watch yeah. Gossip Girl, but I, I, will, I will give her Country Strong. She's good in that film. I don't know what the heck happened with the roommate where she's just amazingly, awfully bad. Yeah, I don't know. All right, Ethan, what's next on your list? Number four uh, would be a film I saw at Fantasia, and I think is conveniently released this weekend. That would be The Divide. Oh, yes. So I can talk about that then. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah, go ahead and, and, and I'll let you keep oh, going. Through. Oh, I... Uh. I think this movie... It's like those you know video game commercials you see that like take themselves really seriously. <laughs> extended to two hours. Wow. Yeah, the film was kind of, uh, hey, let's have the end of the world and let's just find the most 
despicable way that humanity can can regress. And let's call it, and let's just spend the entire movie there. Mm. It's just not a happy film. I mean, if you're all about your dystopian future and humanity's screwed when the end of the world comes, I guess you might enjoy it. But I I was not a fan. You know, Milo Ventimiglia from uh, Heroes. He's brutal. Yes, yes, he is. That's that, that was a nice edit, sir. Yes. <laughs> Uh, was it Patricia Arquette or is it Rosanna Arquette? Who's in that? Patricia Rosanna. Arquette. Rosanna. Every, everyone in this movie is brutal. Yeah, this movie is Aww. just not that. The people I interviewed. <laughs> that's right. That's what. That's why we've heard of this film. Yeah. I, it. Oh, it's. <laughs> it, it's rough, man. It. It. It just go. She gets degraded in the worst possible ways. I mean, it's just. It's brutal. Yeah, in every sense of the word. The acting. Just how mean everyone this. is to each other. The what? The score, yeah, it's the, the same like piano notes over. And, oh. It was like watching a car wreck. Like I, I had to finish it because I'm like, okay, I have to see where this ends, and is then it, like it got a, there. Is it like a Clint Eastwood score? Worse. <laughs> it's like that song, that, that music they have on Lost, that piano, that piano <laughs> oh, theme, man. But just over the whole movie. Ah, uh, yeah, it's and Michael Bean's the star of this, right? No, he's barely yeah. in this movie. Oh, okay, he's barely in the film. You can't call him the star. <laughs> All you know is when it gets to the end, you're like, really, this is the end of it? Because like, I was waiting for some kind of like cube-type ending, and then it's... No, that's where it is. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'm d- I, I, I think I remember saying this when I talked about the Fantasia episode, but it's like if um, a video game designer saw like Tarkovsky's uh, Stalker or The Mirror and was like, <laughs> I have to do that in a commercial for a game. Yeah. It's yeah. not the greatest of films. Yeah. All right, Barry, I'm starting to get more depressed the further we get closer to number one. Oh, it's going to get worse and worse. Uh, number three for me is Transformers! Dark was, of the Moon. Not okay. Dark Side of the Moon, Dark of the Moon, because Michael Bay didn't want to pay Pink Floyd you know, all the money to use that one word in the title. Mm-hmm. Um, I, for me, the, the low point of the film, there's a lot. There's a lot of low points in this film to point out, but I think for me, the scene that makes me the saddest is when Buzz Aldrin... One of the heroes of NASA, one of the heroes of space aviation history, shows up and makes this walk-on cameo. Where they're going, "There's Buzz Aldrin." He walks in, and I think he has a conversation. I think with Optimus Prime, if I remember correctly. I saw this back in July one time, um, and I don't know if he's there because he generally thought it'd be really great to add to the mythos of Transformers, or because he thought more likely, you know, my grandson is going to love that I'm in this yeah. movie with talking to Optimus Prime. Um, but how sad! How sad that he's in this film. Um, and, oh my god like where to begin and I'm not going to spend more than a few seconds to talk about this movie but John Malkovich is in this film uh, Francis McDormand is in this movie John Turturro once again sinking to the level of Michael Bay in this film Alan um, Tudyk Alan Tudyk is in this my gosh I mean like the one person who had the sense not to show up was Megan Fox so and it's still better than the second one that I, I had too much fun watching Transformers 3 to put it on my put it on your and list. not fun in the good way Sure, sure. Fair enough, fair enough. All right, uh, my number three. Let's see what shall I pick. You know, I was so happy to, to when this came out because, and I could put it on my worst of the year list. Oh, John Landis, where where have you gone? Mm. Birkin yeah. Hare is such you know Jack from Screen Geeks UK. He absolutely nailed it. This movie's just what was anyone thinking with this movie? Mm. I read a review on DVD Talk where it was like recommended. I'm like, what were you smoking to like this movie? The film tried, you know, you can tell it's like, hey, this is where the funny part should be. But it just never was funny. Mm. 
you know, I, I, I don't I I don't want to blame anyone and I want to blame everyone at the same time. <laughs> it, it's you know, it's Simon Pegg, it's Andy Circus, it's John Landis. This should be at least decent. Yeah. And it wasn't. Is it just the concept that doesn't work? No, the concept I think could work. It's just there's nothing entertaining about the film really. It just fell flat every time there was supposed to be a joke. And it wasn't just me. Steph and I watched it, and she's like, this is supposed to be funny, right? And that's never a good sign. That's tragic. That's tra- This is his first major film in a long, long time. Yeah, yeah. It's not one of those things where it's like, this is where they've gone, and they're all screwed. It's just, come on, guys, you're better than this. His Landis's Masters of Horrors episodes have been highlights of that entire series. I love what he did for that series. They were funny and sick, um, and and certainly a movie about, like, what, turn-of-the-century grave robbers? I mean, uh-huh. it sounded like a really good idea for him. Oh, yeah, the setup was great, but it just they never did anything with it. That's so sad. Yeah, man. it's it's a rough movie all the way through. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I don't want to talk anymore about it. Ethan, what do you got next? Uh, my number three is a crappy Canadian comedy called Servitude. No one will ever see it. It's best just to pretend it never happened, so I'm not going to say much about it. <laughs> okay. I saw the poster for this one recently and, uh, on the Internet Movie Poster Awards. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Okay. Yeah, but no, I won't see it. I will, I will listen to you, Ethan. All right, Barry. Uh, Sucker Punch, Sucker Punch, uh, which I would almost, uh, almost want to, I'm tempted, but I won't tie it with another Emily Browning movie that came out this year called Sleeping Beauty, um, in which she is also <laughs> dreadful. Um, Emily Browning is no question, she's beautiful, and she's an interesting actress in, in terms of her beauty uh, being applied to these roles. Um, something that no one tends to talk about in Sucker Punch a lot, I mean, everybody talks about how, how hypocritical it is, and I agree with that, and how overly, bombastically stylistic it is, which I agree with. A lot of people don't talk about how bad the performances are. Um, oh, yeah. But t- starting with Emily Browning, who is just a total blank in this movie. I don't, I don't care if her character is full of angst or not. I mean, this is a blank, blank performance. Um, Carla Gugino. Any movie where you can like misuse Carla Gugino and give her a bad Russian actress? This <laughs> that is a, was a moose and squirrel accent. Yeah, she is a lovely, interesting, and t- very talented actress, and she's terrible in this movie. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac, who played the Sheriff of Nottingham and Ridley Scott's Robin Hood. There it is again. Um, he can be very good. He is dreadful, terrible in this movie. Um, even John Hamm, completely misused in this film, and... When people uh, defend this movie up and down, I'm always amazed. Like just when this movie could not get any any possibly worse, especially in, in the way it, it shamelessly rips off Brazil. But then you've got the end credit number with this big musical number that apparently they cut from the movie, but but Snyder decided to shoehorn into the end credits. I mean, this film is torture, torture, torture to sit through. And who's the the older guy who's in it? He was uh, a bust- Scott Glenn. Scott, Scott Glenn. Glenn, who's a fine actor. I felt so bad for him. So embarrassed to watch him in this film. Yeah, everybody. And Vanessa Hudgens, man, between this and Beastly, I mean, this is this is clearly uh, this is her year, isn't it? Been, um, yeah. I, I, this is a film where I felt nothing for any of the characters from the opening scene on. From that opening scene, which of course feels like a music video. We've talked about this. Um, a lot of style, a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of flesh, but no substance. This movie is garbage. I've read uh, like like you have, like both of you guys have. Like I've I've read the film journal, the schol- the scholastic quote unquote you know hoity toity articles about how this movie is really about female empowerment and it's about you know it's a pro feminist movie and all this stuff and and. You know, even if that were the case, it's still a terrible film. Mm-hmm. It's still garbage. Garbage is garbage, and this movie is garbage. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, let's see. Oh, you know what? I have a next. Okay, I, I guess I'm skipping this round because I don't want to bring up the last one until it's time for the last one. So, okay. Ethan. 
my number two is Light Crazy. Hmm. Wow. Which plays like a spoof of indie movies. <laughs> Just like from all the montages to the song choices to the whole fuck on the fly style it's just it's just embarrassing and painful to sit through i i just thought it was just truly abysmal wow because i'm not crazy in love with this movie but i did like it you you didn't like felicity jones or anton yelchin what they did no no okay okay jessica lawrence no jennifer lawrence rather nothing again they're giving like the worst characters ever Every time, it's like, you know, the whole improvisational approach, again, that can be very well done, but sometimes uh, it's just, it, it can be very boring, and this movie is a perfect example. I just, I, and I, I'm baffled at any, like, it, it play like, seriously, I think, here's my theory. Originally, it was a, a, a spoof movie called Sundance Movie, <laughs> but then the producers were like, okay, we can change the title and market this, and that's what happened, so... It's so high up in your list too. Like, I, really? I mean, worse than worse than Sucker Punch. Wow. Yep. Man. Okay. Okay. All right. We're at, we're we're at the the the, the bottom rung, as opposed to the top rung. Kick us off, sir. Uh, a film from Spain called Kidnapped that Dave and I had the displeasure of seeing <laughs> at the Mile High Horror. I don't know what you're laughing about, man. This is a this is a, this is a pain in the butt to sit through, man. Um, uh, well, you know, Ethan's talking Worse about... Worse than Sucker Punch. Yes. Uh, okay. Ethan, you know, something that Ethan brought up, and I, and I appreciate it. I don't share Ethan's venom for, for like crazy, but you know what? You bring up a really good point. I mean, there's something so irritating about about the, about the how audiences tend to defend films that are, are not worthy of defense. And they say like, well, you know, because it was done this way or because it was from Sundance or it was stylish or it had this and this. Um, Dave and I saw a film from Spain, a um, Spanish film called Kidnapped, and it's been celebrated um, because it's it ha- it's only been shot in 12 takes. This is confirmed. This is true. It was only shot in 12 takes, um, which is something, by the way, that both Alfred Hitchcock and Brian De Palma have done before and done so much better. Um, Kidnapped is a home invasion film, um, which is a, a, a genre that I actually like. I find those movies suspenseful. I find them terrifying and, and just really gripping. Um, this movie, uh, I think it's it's about two hours of people screaming. Um, I think it's incredibly vile. Vile isn't a word I use for a lot of films, but I, I use it for this film. I found it really, really vile. Um, I'm someone who doesn't like rape scenes, but the one in this movie especially offended me uh, because it's, it's it's with a girl that's so incredibly young, and it's such a horrible, in-your-face, uh, the camera is like leering kind of scene. Um, I thought the violence was disgusting instead of instead of really useful to the film. I thought the performances were pretty pretty mediocre, um, and I felt ashamed for the actors that they were willing to go along and do this kind of thing. I think it's just a really degrading movie to watch. I think it's a degrading movie to make. This is the kind of bottom-of-the-barrel movie that would have come out in the early 80s with a title like Maniac or Don't Go in the Woods. Um, or The Prowler. I mean, this is one of those really, really awful slasher movies that just doesn't add anything. And it's been called art. It's been called an art film, and that really offends me. I don't think there's anything artful about this movie. Um, The director, no question, he knows how to stage a scene. He knows how to use the camera. He knows how to edit the film, but that doesn't make him a great director. You could say the same thing about Michael Bay. Um, this is just a film that I just wish it did not exist. There's nothing for this. There's nothing about this movie that I liked. Um, I think it's just really, really disgusting crap. 
Um, and I don't like to use the word crap because I know that people worked in this movie and they spent money on it and they had a vision and they had an idea. Um, but if the film's overall all thing is to offend you or to have you walk out, you know, feeling violated or feeling like you need to take a shower, which is of course what I told you after I watched the film, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that's I don't think that's a good worthy cause. I don't. Um, I did not see the Human Centipede two this year, and but I feel like I did. For me, the movie was called Kidnapped. I hate this film. One of the things that really kind of that bugged me even more. I mean, the, the film is pretty vile. There's no doubt about it. But the final scene in the film, that final kill, yes goes completely against the rest of the movie sure in every way it's like why did you have to do that to end the film it, yeah. it, it you know i could have almost gone with the film until that last moment i'm like okay you're gonna off someone you're gonna off this character i understand why you would do that but to do it in that fish fashion is just completely against the rest of the entire movie i mentioned joel schumacher's trespass earlier with nicholas cage and, and nicole kidman and i gotta say it's a mediocre film and it's got a b-movie script but it is a superior superior home invasion movie to kidnapped in every way mm-hmm. all right uh my number one shouldn't be a shock to anybody because i went on such a tirade against this movie seven days in utopia i still argue should have an ending from what i understand the de- the, the devil inside pulls the same stunt that uh that that Really? Seven Days in Utopia does, yes. Serious? Yes. <laughs> like, I was watching Good Morning America last week, and they were talking about how it was the top-grossing movie, but it got an F, F. by every single t- audience member who That's saw right. it. Yep. And, right, you know, it's the same thing. You know, the movie's already generic as hell. It's, it's complete garbage from top to bottom. People say it's a Christian movie. I'm sorry, you can say it's a Buddhist movie. You can say it's every other kind of movie, because the film refuses to commit to anything in the entire film on a spiritual level, except for how awesome... Callaway is because everything is Callaway, <laughs> and, and the film just offended me as a moviegoer. It offended me on, on several levels as a moviegoer and as a human human being. Um, that that just I felt insulted from top to bottom with this movie, and no one should ever be forced to watch this film. The Gitmo prisoners should not have to watch Seven Days in Utopia. Nice. All right, Ethan, I'll let you t- finish this off, sir. Uh, my worst film of the year is Battle Los Angeles, mm. which represents everything horrible about modern action movies. Taking itself too seriously, uh, tr- trying to be realistic, uh, the whole crappy handheld camera. The thing is, I'm, I'm a defender of shaky cam, because I think it, it can be used green grass. But this is a case where action has no kineticism there's no excitement there's no interesting set pieces there's there's just nothing to hinge on to this movie is like watching just white noise i find mm. all right man all right then <laughs> yeah yeah i i didn't like it dislike it as much as you just because uh of, of only only because I thought it was going somewhere, <laughs> and there was a period where I thought, okay, this isn't going to be so bad, but it, it, it really was one of the biggest disappointments of last year, considering it had a pretty fantastic trailer. It looked pretty dang cool. It had Aaron Eckhart as the star. Um, Aaron Eckhart, no question, he is the, the last action hero. He is the next action hero with this movie. He proves it. Um, but he's got some monologues towards the end of the film that are so rah-rah, cheesy, and corny that just kind of stop the film. Um and for me, like one of the most unintentionally funny scenes of any film this year, and I'm sure you remember this, Ethan, is uh, at the end of the film, after the soldiers have survived, you know, after like, you know, they've survived the Battle of L.A. and they're safe and they're in this army barracks tent and they're like, you know, regrouping and, and you know, like having a moment of downtime and they're in line for the chow line, right? And uh, the the uh, the general comes up and says, there's been an attack in a different state. Are you guys ready? Like, aren't you going to guys have breakfast first? And like, 
we're done with breakfast, sir. And they march off and they run off to the next alien invasion. And the movie ends, assuming that there's going to be like a a battle Toronto or, you know, a battle Tokyo in its future. Or Des Moines. Or Des Moines. Des Moines would be good. Different. Yeah. Denver. Battle yeah. Denver. There you yeah. go. There you go. Trinidad. Kind of cold for the aliens. Trinidad. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Walla Walla. Right, I, I think we can stop. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, but I, I, it's something where I liked the trailer so much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, me See, too. <laughs> like, what I usually do when it's event movies, I watch the trailer, like the teaser trailer. I watch the teaser trailer the night before I see the film. And then, you know, <laughs> and then I'll watch the film and be like, wow, that really was this great experience I hoped it would be. This is one of these things where I went back and watched the trailer a few more times. Like, why couldn't I see that film? That movie looks so good. Uh, the aliens were such a disappointment. I'm a, I love cool, original, unique aliens. And the aliens in this movie were Independence Day and the Giger alien and you know just in a really bland uninteresting way the aliens weren't that cool the action just kind of stopped it just it was so redundant and uninteresting um yeah so certainly in terms of being one of the biggest disappointments of the year i agree with you ethan i mean this movie was just a letdown all right then. okay well uh, i i think <laughs> let's take a quick breather and then we're, we're gonna do then we'll uh to you the audience you're not gonna be able to tell but we're gonna take a little break here to, to kind of regroup and get ready to talk about the good movies so yeah See, that was really quick. All right, Barry, let's, uh, why don't you kick us off with our top? We're doing the top 10 of the year. These are the best of the best, the creme of the creme. All right, number 10, um, I really loved uh, Ray Fiennes' Coriolanus. I think this is one of the best Shakespeare adaptations. In fact, I'd say it's the best since uh, Leonardo DiCaprio put on that Aloha shirt about 15 years ago. Um, I think it actually has more clarity uh, than Julie Taymor's Titus, but it has that kind of cinematic just fierceness to it. Hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's an action movie, oddly enough. Um, set during this war that could be very well the Iraqi war. Um, it, it feels really, really immediate, I want to say. And the performances are terrific. This is the comeback of all comebacks for Gerard Butler. He's excellent in this movie. Remember when we used to love him as an actor? He's great in this film. Uh, uh, no question. Um, Vanessa Richardson and Jessica Chastain are terrific in this movie, but it is Ray Fiennes' movie the whole way through. He gives a really passionate, uh, just a real go-for-broke performance. Um, this movie makes this story accessible. Yes, it's Shakespeare. It's an iambic pentameter, um, which means they speak in the old English, and yet it works. You'll understand the story. You'll be compelled by the story. Um, I think this is a great film debut for him as a director, and I think it's a great film. Very cool. Uh, my number 10, I'm sure it's lower than y'all's on y'all's, on y'all's list, but it's there was no denying the masterful strokes that were made to, to bring Melancholia to the screen. Um, I've always been a little bit scared to watch <laughs> films for, 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 from this, this guy. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I've always been a, a little, you know, after hearing about our Antichrist and yeah. other stuff, I'm like, I don't know, okay. You know, every, every, you know, both you and Ethan have said this is his most, his most accessible film, and I will sure. say that. Um, it's still artsy, it's still abstract. But I thought it was a fine film, yeah. and Kristen Dunst is outstanding in it. Like, yes. it's like where was this during Spider Man? Mm. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and I'll, I'll talk about it too later on. But I got to say, uh, Charlie Gainsbourg, that was my favorite performance mm-hmm. in the film. I loved her performance as the sister. Yes. Yeah, great performance. Udo Kier is awesome too. Udo Kier is great in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I love Udo is great no matter what. <laughs> the look on his face when she's like, "Throw it away." He's like, "Put, put, put. like he looked like someone just like hit his puppy dog with a car or something." Yeah, it's great. But yeah, it's not a light, happy movie, but it's an outstanding film. It is, but, yes. Yeah. All right, Ethan. Uh, my number 10 is A Separation. Mm. They emphasize often images. This is a film that's 
very much about the screenplay, about words, about actions, about character interactions, and uh, it really it's such it's so masterfully structured, and the way you you take sides, you feel sympathy for everyone. And but it's never really manipulative, and it has a really solid direction. Not not showy, but very, but never betrays the tone. Uh, all the performances are excellent. Yeah, I, I definitely would say it's a great film. A separation. I agree with you, Ethan. Um, I saw this film, and I was very affected by it, like you were. Um, and, and I would say it's kind of the same thing. On one hand, I think the worst thing you could say about this movie doesn't it lacks style, <laughs> but who cares? The story is so good. The performances are so in key, and I'm sure like you could probably relate to this too. My allegiance, uh, uh, my sympathies for different characters shifted throughout the entire movie. How I felt about every character kept changing over the course of the story. Um, for a movie that initially I thought I don't know if I'm going to be into this film. It just not not only because it was an Iranian film. Uh, just because the characters initially felt it, it, it almost felt like melodrama initially, but this movie really creeped up on me. I think it's a terrific drama, and it's strange how universal uh, so many of these characters are, though with their themes, what they're going through, and and certainly uh, the sympathies. Again, like I, uh, t- towards the last ten minutes of the movie, I kept changing my mind about how I felt about certain incidents and certain characters. Um, this movie really, really did a number on me. Cool. All right. Well, I'll let you jump right into number nine while you're at it, sir. Oh, okay. Uh, Rango. Right I love Rango. It was my favorite animated film of last year. Um, I think, you know, movie started off with uh, the Mariachi Owls, and I thought it just got funnier and funnier from there. Um, not my favorite Johnny Depp performance of the year. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to The Rum Diary later on. I thought it was the most uh, underrated film that came out last year. But uh, I thought this was just a really great comedy. I thought the characters were vivid. I thought the f- I thought the movie was tremendously funny. I thought it did a great job of, of paying homage uh, to the Sergio Leone movies as well as the writings of Hunter S. Thompson. Um, I loved Rango. I thought it was really unique and interesting. I know a lot of people said, well, it's not really for kids. Um, and I don't think that's really the point. I think kids will enjoy this film, but I think adults will love it too. And I think kids will enjoy it as they become adults. Um, I love Rango. I thought it was by far the best animated comedy of the year. One of the funniest films that came out in 2011. Cool. All right. Uh, my number nine is, uh, you know, it seems like I, almost every year I come up with a couple documentaries from stars <laughs> from the Denver Film Festival. Cool. <coughs> Excuse me. What I love about a good documentary now isn't so much that it's about, you know, apartheid or, you know, wild horses being abused, even though <laughs> that was a fine film as well. Sure. Uh, wild Horses and Renegades, right? Yes. That was a fine film. It, it actually came close to hitting the list, too. But what I really like is, you know, as a, a non, I don't know, I, I guess you would say I'm not the stereotypical, neither of us are the stereotypical type of Christian. And it's, I've always, you always like seeing a film that kind of shows you on the screen and someone you identify with. And for me, that really was Holy Rollers. Mm. Uh, the true story of card counting Christians being in a blackjack club, what would seemingly be so diametrically opposed to what their beliefs would be, and them just showing, you know, this is where we come from, this is what it is. And I thought it was an entertaining film, I thought it was a fascinating film, and it really engaged me the whole way through. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, it didn't make my list, but I agree it's a great documentary. And, and for those of you who listen, you're going, what the heck is this? This is a documentary, just to be clear, uh, about these about these Christians in this church group that decided to basically become these card sharks. And they go to casinos, and they uh, basically make a business of it. Uh, I don't want to playing describe Playing blackjack. It. Yeah, playing blackjack. They're they, card counters. Yeah. yeah, they're card counters. Yeah, and they make a business of it. And after a while, they like they get kicked out of certain casinos, or certain casinos are on the lookout for these guys. I mean, this, this it's strange how 
compelling it is. It's almost like a real life Ocean's Eleven sort of movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I think what I told you, Dave, is I had a, the characters. I thought I'm not the characters, the real people. I thought, yeah, some of these guys like they seem a little shady to me. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, I agree. Completely fascinating, very entertaining. Really it doesn't well shy made. away from any aspect of their lives. Right. Right. So yeah, yeah I just, holy rollers, check it out. It is good. I agree with you. Oh yes, yeah. most definitely. All right, Ethan, number nine. My, me? Yep. Yes. Me? Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, my number nine is the British film Weekend. Yeah. Uh, this is a, it's a gay romance, and it's primarily centered on two characters and like a separation. It's more a film about words and actions and characters. But you realize how much kind of tension there is in the film in a way. There's this kind of, it's almost a climax of the movie, and you realize how kind of heartbreaking the story is and how sensitive it is and i so yeah it's it's a wonderful movie i i agree with you ethan i think it's a great film um i i could have done without the a few of the art house touches like why are these guys snorting cocaine <laughs> it didn't seem like completely necessary um but i agree with you it's a beautiful film i love the images of uh of the one guy watching the other guy leave from his window just just what a beautiful and simple image that is and I found the ending tremendously moving, and I loved how it was. It just it felt real. Not only did it feel like it was set in real time, but it felt very authentic. Um, I know a lot of people were crazy about Brokeback Mountain, but I, I love this film more. I loved it for its simplicity. I loved it for its beauty, and I really liked these characters. I, I think I agree with that. I think Weekend's a very good film. Yay! <laughs> All right, number eight. I'm sorry. Uh, Number eight for me would be Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, This was the only summer movie I liked last year. The only one I would see again in a heartbeat. Um, For all the things about it that fall short, uh, which it would be, I'd say maybe arguably Frank James Franco's performance. Surprise, surprise, not his, not his best. Um, and for that matter, mostly humans, aside from John Lithgow, who was I thought tremendously moving in this movie. The humans weren't that interesting, particularly Frida Pinto, who's great to look at. But let's face it, in terms of acting, she doesn't do much for this movie or Immortals. Um, but what works in this film, I think the story was really gripping. I thought uh, I thought the, the apes were terrific. Um, yeah, the special effects didn't always convince me all all the time, 100%, just as much as the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park didn't look 100% convincing all of the time. Um, but I thought the performances, uh, particularly the performance capture work by the actors was fine and I, uh, I found the movie tremendously gripping and exciting. Um, I think the climax was kind of like a like an angrier, scarier Jumanji gone amok. And I, I just found this movie really involving and engrossing in a way that I, I miss from summer movies. And I certainly miss from last year's summer movies. There are a lot of big films, whether they be Thor or Captain America, that I thought either just took themselves too seriously or not seriously enough. Um, but I think this movie, it, it avoided being campy. Um, and, and I got to I gotta give this film so much credit because for Pete's sake, a year ago when we were talking about the movies we were looking forward to the most in 2011, this is one of these movies that I actually did throw out there. And, and I remember just like how ridiculous it sounded. You know, a Planet of the Apes prequel with James Franco. I mean, how bad that sounded. And the studio was already calling it Apatar because the, because the effects were so amazing. Now, this movie, like if any movie in 2011 looked like it was going to lose, it was definitely going to be this one. And I was so pleased that I thought this was a pretty thundering success. I, I like this film a lot. Sweet. <clears throat> Excuse me, just a moment. All right, all better. Uh, my number eight would be uh, one. Of, I don't know if this was Jack's number one last year. It was in his top five for sure. But uh, Submarine, what by Richard Ayoade, uh, is it really feels like it, it could take place for all for all the British feel that Wes Anderson films have. This one truly felt 
British all the way through. I mean, yeah. it has that same sensibility. It's definitely off kilter. Uh, the the whole thing where he's talking, where he's reenacting his, how everyone reacts to his death at the very beginning, is freaking hilarious because it's like every kid has gone through that whole thought, and as an adult, you're thinking, yeah, not even close. But just the, the this kid has some has some. He has confidence, but he doesn't at the same time. And just this kid kind of working his way through life and the obstacles that are thrown in his way, I just found it incredibly entertaining and endearing. Yeah. It, it could, it'd be very easy for this film to come off as very ugly. And it walks that fine line perfectly, I thought. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I, you know, the, one of the reasons I think this movie slipped from my mind, it was the film I saw the day before I saw The Tree of Life. <laughs> I saw, Literally, like, like I remember even getting out of the submarine showing, like, sweet, I'm going to see Tree of Life tomorrow. And the film just didn't stay with me because I think I've been, you know, I've had this ridiculous crush on The Tree of Life for the rest of the year, if not the rest of my life. Um, but yeah, submarine's great. I love the really talented, gifted uh, Australian actor Noah Taylor playing his father. Mm-hmm. I yes. love his performance in this film. It's so subdued. Yeah, I love the romance, the the really off kilted romance he has with the young girl. Um, yeah, this is a lovely film. It really is. Yeah, it's good choice. Yeah, good time with it. Yes. All right, Ethan, number eight. My number eight film is A Dangerous Method from David Cronenberg. I'm so bummed uh, I didn't get to see this. Uh, like the last two films on my list, it's a very talky film. And a very, very much a writer's film, but I think very much a director's film too. And how what David Cronenberg does is with his films very subtle, but when you kind of really go into it, you realize how genius his direction is. For example, how he often he emphasizes deep focus throughout the movie, so he always keeps both characters in the frame, so you're always remembering who they are. Another scene too that made me kind of think of it within an auteur context is the opening scene, which is is uh, Kira Knightley, her entrance in the film as she's in, screaming and making all these crazy faces, and there's this kind of loud, the entrance of a monster. So I thought of it too, kind of him tying it into his horror themes. And all the performances are excellent. Like I said, Kira Knightley is, this is, it's easy to say this is a brave performance because of how crazy it is, but it truly is, and I think it's really wonderful. And yeah, I think it's it's a really intellectually stimulating enjoyed it. I saw the film too, and I, I think I agree with you. I think it is a great film. Uh, I guess the one thing I should throw out there, um, and I'm asking for trouble, even even talking about this. Uh, one thing I've been disagreeing, uh, found I've, it's been kind of a talking point amongst uh, a lot of the Colorado film critics, um, is Kira Knightley's performance. Um, and I'll, I'll just I'll just be upfront about it. I don't know if I want to admire her performance because it is uh, so dedicated. Uh, to the film and how far she was willing to go for Cronenberg or if it's a terrible performance. I'm not sure I know. It's an interesting performance to watch and I really admired how far she was willing to go for him but I thought she was kind of awful in the film. Um, especially next to Vigo and uh, Michael Fassbender who I thought were so good and I thought that she, I think she was it almost seemed like she was trying too hard to to kind of keep her head above water with these two guys and, and to be with Cronenberg. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, but I I agree with you. It's a great film. It's a gorgeous film. I think it's arguably the most beautiful film that Cronenberg's made, possibly. Um, I love Viggo Viggo Mortensen's performance in the movie. Um, and uh, and Fassbender is so subtle and so great in this movie. And 
um, it's, it's such a fascinating part of history. I mean, like Cronenberg makes the, 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 the birth of modern-day psychiatry just, just so engrossing to watch. It's a talking movie. Um, it, it's, but it, unlike a film like Carnage, which feels like a stage play, this movie really does find a way to open up these scenes of actors uh, you know, uh, in, in, the, in these rooms just talking to one another um, as, a, as a history lesson, certainly as a human drama. I thought it was very, very engrossing. But, li- but unlike yourself, I, I, had a, I had a problem with, with Keira Knightley's performance. I don't think it sabotages the film, but I just I felt like it really wasn't in the same league as the other two actors. Again, they are asked throughout the film to be subtle, and she's asked to be crazy. Yeah. And there's just sort of that uh, difference that it seem a little off. I think. Well, I just I I, I would I would be harsher. I, I think they could have found a better actor. I really I, I really do. And it's not again. It's not that what she does is well. No, I'm. I'm I'm soft pedaling here. I think she's terrible in the film. I really think they could have found a better actress to do this, who could have, I don't know, been a little more nuanced. I think in the way she played this maddening performance, um, or maybe you know what? Maybe I'm just maybe I found her just so irritating, and that was kind of the point of the character. You know, maybe I just I wanted her to be locked up so badly. Uh, maybe maybe the performance worked a little too well for me. Maybe I'm you know maybe I just read it the wrong way completely. All right. Okay, let's move on to number seven. Number seven for me is Of Gods and Men. Uh, the film came out in, I believe, January or February. This is a film about a cluster of monks who refuse to leave their monastery after an imposing war regime is coming in, and they decide to hold firm and basically to stand up to to these the opposing military forces in order to basically be the backbone of their town. Um, that may not sound all that interesting, I, I realize. Um, Michael Lonsdale is the star of the film. Um, and, of course, you might, most people might know him as Drax, as the, the villain in, in Moonraker. Um, it's a bunch of uh, older French actors. And this film, it certainly is uh, it, It's very leisurely paced, you could put it that way. It's very slow at times. Um, and yet, I find this movie to be profoundly moving and beautiful. Um, I'd say this film... It's, uh, it, it, it strives to be like a Terrence Malick sort of film, and it almost gets there completely. It has a Last Supper scene between the monks that is one of the, it's one of the few scenes this year that made me openly weep. Um, I think it's a gorgeous film. Everything about it is beautiful, the performances, the direction, the execution of it. Um, it is a very tragic real-life story, um, and yet it's a very beautiful and very soothing film. This is one of these movies that I think for those who really truly love cinema in a sense that cinema could really transport you places and, and uh, really create a feel for a different time and a different place. Um, it's a movie that it does not proselytize. It's not a religious film about monks. It is about these monks who make a decision that would be hard for anybody regardless of their faith. Um, yeah, so I, I highly recommend this movie. It was one of the most critically acclaimed films on the festival circuit last year. Um, it didn't make much of a splash in America here, but I think it really deserved to be. This is, this is a terrific film. Very cool. Uh, number seven on my list is this, the second entry from the Stars Denver Film Festival <laughs> this year, and that would be Patriocracy. Uh, initially, I gave it a 3.0 out of 4. Upon reflection, I'd love to give it a 3.5, but you know what? I rated it what I rated it, so I'm just keeping it there. But this film is, I think, a very timely film, um, especially considering looking at the, the, the Republican national race, and I'm not going to voice my opinion on it. But the film really acts as, as kind of a lightning rod and a sounding board for people who are just kind of disenfranchised in general and just kind of sick of the entire political process and are waiting for some, you know, or have been trying to explain why they just hate the entire system because it seems so corrupt. And this film does it perfectly. 
and it doesn't take sides on Republican or Democrat. It says both you both both sides are equally culpable in the mess we're in now, and then provides steps of how we can get out of it. Which I think it's a fascinating film. I think it's a powerful film. They're taking it on tour around various um, states, for, for caucus states, right before the elections and stuff right now. Great. And I hope that people see it. This is a film I think people need to see. And it is entertaining at the same time, too. So there it is. Did you get a chance to watch it? Not yet. I will. Okay. Fair I enough. It. It's on my stack, I promise. Fair enough. Right on. <laughs> I will see it. All right, Ethan, what is your number seven? Uh, my number seven is Shame. Uh, I feel like I really have to defend this movie at this point because I think it's gotten a pretty big critical backlash. But, uh, yeah, when I first saw it, it really knocked me on my ass. And I I can see some of the criticism towards it. Maybe it's too good in terms of the direction and whatnot. But I think there is, to me, a lot of genuine emotion to it. I, I think that the direction is actually quite strong. It really, it doesn't, it isn't showy to me. It perfectly serves the themes and the ideas and the characters and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, I, again... It is a real gut punch of a movie, I find. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be talking about it later. So Okay. Well, I'll briefly chime in. This movie didn't make my top ten list, although it was at one point. Um, one of the reasons was uh, I, I've seen it subsequently, and for me it didn't hold up as well the second time. And it's not because of any of the reasons that you, that you mentioned, Ethan. I agree. The performances, particularly by Fassbender and Carey Mulligan, are terrific among the best of the year. And no question, Steve McQueen's direction is excellent. This is a director who two movies in shows real, real command of the camera. My problem with the film is the third act. Um, it felt like a really melodramatic choice. Um, I'm not going to talk about it. Um, but the big uh, the big third act mo- movement of plot, it just it felt... Uh, it felt like the movie was going in kind of obvious choices for me. Um, I didn't buy hmm. it, frankly. I just it felt melodramatic, and it felt like the movie was going in a screenwriter sort of way, as opposed to a way that I don't know could be, I think, more honest or more confrontational. I didn't mind that the characters were thinly sketched in order to kind of allow us to kind of percept where they are, who they are, and what what they've been through and whatnot. I didn't mind that so much. Um, and yet, the second time I saw it, it just it struck me as a movie that's it's a uh, I wanted, I wanted to build up to something greater than an ending that felt, I don't want to say TV movie-ish, but it just did. It just did. Hmm. The ending just, it did. Are it, you talking about the resolution with Carrie's yes, figure? Yes, yes. I didn't like character. that at all. Okay. I just didn't. It, it's, it felt like I've seen this before. Everything prior to that, it felt like this is something new. This is something very direct, and this is something really heartfelt and honest and painful. But then you get to the ending that just, it, to me, it felt like, well, this is, the, the movies do this. Stories do this. You know, uh, melodrama does this. Because um, I think they could have done something that was much stronger, but I agree with Ethan. I mean, the performances are terrific, and Steve McQueen is clearly, clearly a, a powerful director to watch. Very cool. All right, number six, we are up to. Uh, for me, six is Win Win, the new film from Tom McCarthy, the director and writer of uh, The Visitor, as well as The Station Agent. Um, this is one of these little films that just tends to kind of fall in the cracks, and you know, it opened up early in the year, and people just kind of miss it. Um, it just shows what a great year Fox Searchlight has had. Um, I saw Cedar Rapids around the same time as I saw Win Win. I love Cedar Rapids, but Win Win is by far the stronger film. This is Paul Giamatti, one of his best performances. Bobby Cannavale is hilarious and steals all of his scenes. Um, it's a movie that feels uh, very true to life, I thought. It has an ending that feels perfect, perfectly grounded in reality, and it's satisfying and also very bittersweet. Um, I love this film. It's uh, one of the best films about high school wrestling I've ever seen. Um, I think it's incredibly funny, but moreover, it just feels like a really honest and really, uh, really, uh, really keen character drama. I, I really enjoyed this film. 
Very cool. Uh, this is one I, I definitely disagree on. Okay. It, the ending is completely... The third act is so tidy. It's such an overall just, like, middle-brow, generic, like, Fox searchlighty indie comedy. Like, it's not bad, but... But to me, a lot of it felt very false, specifically the third act. Hmm. Okay. I liked it. I thought it. I thought it was very bittersweet. I didn't feel like a happy ending for the character. It felt like a compromise for him. I thought that was a really good way to end that story. Or oh. not. Or not. Okay. Well, <laughs> I liked Win Win. It's all good. All right. Number six for me is a Korean film uh, called Hunters. Actually, this is the third film to show from Stars. I completely forgot it showed there. Um, this is kind of I, I, I put. It, I would almost put it on the same level as Unbreakable, as far as superhero movies not based on a comic book, uh, except figure that miss that uh that mr glass shows up like five minutes into the movie and bruce willis doesn't have his powers yet or doesn't figure him out uh this film is a very much a cat and mouse game that works very well it's a tense film all the way through because the bad guy can essentially control anyone in the world except our our hero who's just kind of a mousy guy who is trying to scrape by and he's the one who has to figure out how to stop this guy and some of the tricks that are done the film goes places that that i think most western films trying this wouldn't do uh when he's trying to chase the bad guy down the bad guy's like in a, a mall or a it's i think he's in a mall and he has everyone in the mall stand on the red the edge railings and then when he takes a step forward people start dropping down just like plunging to their deaths the film takes some real risks and it pays off very well the ending i guess you could say is a little cheesy but i i, I dug it i love the way the film ended uh if whenever it comes out on video who knows when it will be because it's one of these underground kind of movies definitely check out Honders cool yes alright number six Ethan uh, number six is a film that I was going to call the best documentary of the year but then I realized it wasn't actually a documentary and I felt really stupid uh, that would be La Quattro Volte which uh, depicts it's an Italian film it depicts an old shepherd kind of living the end of his life uh, with all his goats on his farm and uh I know that sounds pretty dry, but over the 90 minutes, the visuals in this film are just incredible. It is a truly cinematic experience, and the the goats are just awesome. Uh, it's it's moving. It reminded me a bit of a Jacques Tati film at times. Some hmm. some of the state the staging. So yeah, I I was really impressed by this film. See it on the biggest screen possible. Cool. Right on. Okay, so that brings us down to number five. Uh, for me, it's this year's Blue Valentine. I'm sorry just to throw that out there, but I would compare Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene to Blue Valentine in the sense that it's very simple, it's very quiet, and you will walk away devastated. Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene is the film uh, debut from uh, writer-director Sean Durkin. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen is the star of the film, and uh, John Hawks also co-stars. I think these are two of the best performances of the year. This is about, of course, a young woman who escapes from a cult. Um, the film is psychologically complex. It is not sentimental. Um, the characters, of, they're, they're uh, another film where how you feel about them, your sympathies towards them, your allegiances towards them will change over the course of the film. Um, and one of these endings that's very ambiguous, uh, but also very perfect for this film. Um, I want to say I love this film, but it haunted me so much. I think this, this is one of these movies I, I really, really admired. I don't know how much I liked the film, but uh, it is such, I thought, a masterful film in terms of the way it was made. I, I uh, really applaud everyone I involved. I kind of have some problems with. Okay. 
ultimately, though, I find it very facile. I, I find there's not a lot to it, and I think it's just it's clever direction and editing and cinematography kind of just try to hide that. I, well, I disagree. I felt that the direction, and particularly the editing, really made it clear that it was this young woman has an inability to ascertain what is real and what is and, and, and what has happened to her, and how the really the trauma of the experience has kind of intertwined with her real life life. So she's she's basically just starting to deal with what happened to her, and the flashbacks are starting to interrupt with the real life. And during the course of the film, we're not even sure exactly what's still happening to her. Her sense of reality has been so skewered. Um, to the point where she becomes kind of uh, socially unable to, to to function as a normal human being, um, I thought it was really psychologically rich. I, I just I found it too mechanical that ultimately it became a very transparent film for me. Hmm. Okay. All right. Like, I have no doubt that Sean Durkin is very talented. I just think he needs to be able to move past being too clever for his own good. Too clever. So I mean, just just in terms of the way it was made or structured or all those things. All those things, basically. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Uh, my number five is one of the. This might be my only uh, summer movie that, that that's on the list. Yeah, it is. Uh, Attack the Block from Joe Cornish. Uh, this is a film that's a great throwback to the, the alien invasion movies, like the Carpenter flicks of the '80s. And what starts off with characters that you hate and just hope will all die, you eventually start growing affection for, which is a hard, a tough thing to to to, to pull off. Um, especially the main characters of Zeus. And that the it's just such a fun movie the whole way through. The creatures I think are great. You even when you see them on screen, you really don't have a, a, a really good grasp on what the heck it is you're looking at. Yeah. And it's just I I it's one of the most fun times I've had at the theaters this past year, for sure. Yeah, it was greatly enjoyable. Uh didn't make my ten list, but mm-hmm. I did but I did enjoy this film very much like you did. Yeah. It was a great time. It, it, I'm I will be getting it on Blu-ray for sure. I have to. All right, so number five for you, Ethan. Uh, my number five is Once Upon a Time in Anatolia Dalen, one of the best filmmakers in the world right now. Uh, this is a two-and-a-half-hour epic about the search for justice in modern society. It's, the direction, as usual, from Salen's very Antonioni-inspired, hmm. very slow, very pensive, but it's really it's my kind of film, and I, I was really... I was both intellectually stimulated by it and moved by it in the end, and I I think it's a beautiful cinematic film that should be seen on the biggest screen possible. Again, I I say that. No, it's terrific. Because that film and Once uh, Once Upon a Time in Anatolia and uh, La Quattro Volte are the two films in your list I have not seen or even heard of, uh, so I will check those out. Thank you for recommending those. Cool. All right, number four. Number four for me uh, would be uh, Lars von Trier's uh, melancholia in addition to being uh, the most accessible if you want to say the most accessible film he's made um, I think it's a visionary film there are so many scenes in this film where I was just in awe of the visuals uh, the horseback riding from the from the from the point of view of melancholia looking down at the earth and watching them uh, horseback ride the fog and the scene of the the two moons in the night sky um, I think it's a gorgeous film and yet, it also has a real fiendish sense of humor. I love the whole the whole nonsense of the of the limo that can't quite get down that particular road. Um, I love all the craziness that goes on with the wedding, and then the ending, which is so devastating about uh, and so existential, of course, about dealing with our death and how we how we approach our death and 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 uh, and are and can possibly be either okay with it or be overcome by it. Um, 
Yeah, I, I think Melancholy is his best film. I do. I just thought there was a real clarity to the ideas and there was a real clarity to the characters and uh, to the approach to the filmmaking. I think it's a great film. Very cool. Number four. Um, you know, I wasn't sure I was going to like this movie because I knew it wasn't going to be all that happy, but The Descendants really surprised me just how powerful that film was. Cool. It, it you know, having not having gone through everything that George Clooney's character goes through, the still the film still felt very real to me. Yeah, and this is definitely probably the this is probably the biggest risk that Clooney's taken as an actor in a long time because he's mm-hmm. not the leading the the sexy leading man, he's not the funny guy, he's just playing you know a man, and a man who has extraordinary circumstances happen to him. And the way that he deals with it, the interactions with the family, the cinematography of the film. I mean, the, the, the movie is great from top to bottom. And Matthew Lillard, who knew? Who knew? He could act. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> That's a new one on me. But yeah, it's, it's, an, it's a great film. As long as you're okay with movies that don't necessarily have happy endings, it's a good movie. Okay. <laughs> Ethan, what's your number four? Uh, my number four film is Drive. Uh, just a lot of fun, really. Like, it's not, I don't think it's as deep as many of the other films on my list, but it was just the most, I think. It was just from the soundtrack to the art direction to the editing to the costumes, the performances. It was just, it was just—it was just a, again, in a time of movies like Battle L.A. where everything is like a video game, it was such a, just such a relief to see a throwback like this, but done with kind of enough knowingness that it's, it goes to another little level there. So, yeah. Okay, uh, number three for me would be Moneyball. I thought this is uh, this is another one of these movies where looking at it a second and a third time, it just really, really uh, kind of captivated me. I think it's one of the great baseball films, uh, and it takes an approach to the baseball story in a way that's unconventional because it's about an unconventional baseball story. Um, there is a laid-back quality to Brad Pitt's performance that is just perfect for this role. It's not a movie star role. It's, it's first and foremost a character performance, and he's matched by great, uh, real surprising, of course, turn by, by Jonah Hill as well as Philip Seymour Hoffman. I think the editing in the film and the score to this film is perfect and understated. Uh, this is just one of those stories that just really captivated me. I think it's just, uh, in addition to just being a very entertaining and well-made American film, um, I think this is a movie that really captures the mystique uh, of baseball as well as just how just how horrible it is to be one of these uh, uh, players that that just gets traded from team to team to team. And it's not a sentimental film at all, which I also liked. Cool. All right, my number three is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Hmm. Uh, this is a movie that's not going to be for everyone. If you're looking for a born identity kind of spy movie, stay away from this. <laughs> uh, you're just not doing yourself any favors watching this movie. But the fact that the film was very subdued and, and was very deliberate about its pace built a certain tension that was underlying throughout the entire film that just had me glued to the screen the entire time. Uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, yes, I love him as Sherlock. What I what makes me admire him more is that he plays such a different character in this film. He's not in it much, so there's really not a heck of a lot to say about him. Uh, Gary Oldman is outstanding in this movie. He he's just got he he just has a control of who he is, even though he doesn't have any control about his his destiny. He keeps control of himself and and knows exactly what he does have control of, and takes full use of it and full advantage of it. Colin Firth is very good in it. I mean, this has just got great performances from top to bottom. I understand if some people get bored during it, but I absolutely adored it. Did you get to see it? I did. Well, I want to first ask Ethan, though, because I know, Ethan, this uh, originally was number 10 on your list. Um, what did you think about the film? Well, it was number 10 on my list, so clearly I liked it. But, yeah, I, uh, I, f- I found it, people say it's boring but I, or it's hard to follow, but I think 
the movie is less about kind of plot and more kind of about repressed emotions in a way. Like, notice how Gary Oldman doesn't talk for, like, the first 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah. How kind of muted the colors are. Mm-hmm. It, it, really, it, really, it really kind of captured my attention, even though I wasn't quite 100% understanding everything that was going on. Tom Hardy was great in it. Performances are great top to bottom. Uh, my favorite of the of the ensemble was John Hurt. I love John Hurt's mm-hmm. work in the film. Um, and, and I wanted to speak last about the film because I didn't like it as much as I okay. did. And and and, uh, and here's the thing. No, I didn't walk in expecting James Bond. I, I read John Le Carre. I love John Le Carre's work. Uh, the Russia House with Sean Connery and Michelle Pfeiffer is my favorite John Le Carre ad- adaptation. So I knew going in this was not going to be a movie with chases and, sh- and, and although there are some sensational moments. Um, it's, it's just a movie that just it didn't pull me in for whatever reason okay. uh, the whole way through uh, I found it fascinating and certainly the story even though it's really complex like most Lakare stories it's actually very simple but it's presented in a way that really makes you work for it <laughs> and you really like, it's only at the very end where all the pieces come together but it's very very of course complex and challenging for most people and I'd say it's probably one of the most challenging films uh, to be released in a wide wide release um, for any audience member um, but for whatever reason it just it didn't it didn't pull me in the way I wanted it to um, maybe I just need to see it again um, but I, I can't deny the the power of the performances. I thought the direction was perfect, and it's a very well made movie. But uh, it's one of these movies I admired more than I liked at all. Fair enough. Um, but I but I certainly respect what you're saying because no question, it's a it's a very well made film. Cool. All right, Ethan, number three. Number three on my list is Melancholia, uh, a great film about the idea of depression. Uh, visually stunning as well. Uh, great performances by the whole ensemble. And again, yeah, I think it's Von Trier's most successful film, very funny, and I think it's a better, again, it's a better confrontation of his depression than Antichrist. Mm, so yeah. I really enjoyed that film. Very cool. All right, number two, sir. Number two for me is Alexander Payne's The Descendants. Um, I love this film for obvious reasons. You know, growing up in Hawaii, uh, the film made me homesick, and also I think it's the most uh, accurate film ever made about modern-day Hawaii. It just really captures the different cultures, the different feel, the idea of this rich Howley versus what he's going to do to the landscape if he goes through this big decision. Um, it's just one of these human stories I really loved, and I agree with you, Dave. Uh, certainly one of the most vulnerable performances we've seen George Clooney give in a while. Uh, great performances across the board. And this, it has one of these endings i mean we could you know to bring up something like win-win like this is one of these endings we could say okay it's a little too tidy or it's a little too happy or it's a little too sad um but i can't penalize this movie for having an ending that was so satisfying for me mm-hmm. i love the decision that clooney makes without giving anything away i love what happens with his family i love what happens with the matthew lillard character i certainly love what happened with the judy greer character and i loved all their scenes uh this is just a movie i'm just ridiculously in love with every time i go back and see it and i've seen it a number of times and i just uh, i freaking love it everything about this movie the second that matthew lillard figures out why clooney's there yeah that's is great priceless. <laughs> it's great he just gets this yeah. oh shit look yeah. on his face yeah yeah and i and i love uh, i love judy greer's last last scene in the movie yes like it's so tricky because on one hand it's hilarious but it's also so deeply sad mm-hmm. and, it starts and, off yeah. funny and then it goes yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's good stuff Oof, yeah yeah uh, my number two was shame from from, from the great steve mcqueen um you know this film Ethan, you got it dead on the head. You know, this movie is a gut punch from beginning to end. I, I still think the film's fearless. I understand there are some stylistic choices. I think the only time you can really make a knock theoretically at it is when he's doing the run down the street in New York and stops in front of Madison Square Garden and it's like, hey, look at this awesome shot I can make. I can 
I love the shot, but I can understand why people might say that. They've been saying that, really? I, 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 I agree with you. I think it's a great shot, really. Yeah. Well, just some people are like, it's, it's too much style. Oh. You know, it's, yeah. Penalize the movie for being great in that exactly. way. That's ridiculous. Exactly. Uh, I thought Fassbender was amazing in this film. Yeah. The places he goes with this movie, I think the fact that they kind of sketched out the characters gave the actors more room to, to create the full character themselves, which in Fassbender's case just... Knocked it out of the park as far as I'm concerned. Um, having seen all the films I saw, it's still the, easily the best performance I saw on screen this year. Mm. Um, I, I see what you mean about the, 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 the resolution of Carrie Mulligan's character. I honestly thought it was going to be something else. Uh, I think I told you what I thought it was going to be. Yes, you did. Yeah. You yeah. Know, there's, they they, they kind of hinted at it earlier in the movie. So I think, oh my gosh, they're, they went there with it. And I can kind of understand. But what I really thought was satisfying was the, the true ending. Uh, where he he sees that same married woman on on the, right. on the subway. Yep. And a lot of times when you leave a, a, a non-committal ending to a film like this, it's seen as a cop out, and a lot of times it is. In this film, it's a matter of what's he going to do because he's trying to kick this thing on his own. He doesn't have the support. Is he going to be able to stand up to this, or is he going to go for it, or what's going to happen? Because his character's gone through so many different shifts. I what what Fassbender really brought to the role was while I've obviously never been in that kind of situation in my life, I find myself found myself emotionally going along for the ride with him and seeing the depths that he goes down to and him trying to pull himself back out. And I just thought the film was incredibly powerful. Well, I agree with you, Dave. I mean, a tidy wrap-up would have been very wrong for this film. A tidy, mm-hmm. everybody wins ending would have been completely, completely uh, just a disaster for a film like this. When he goes on his, I guess it's the, the, the equivalent of going on a, on, a, on a binge drinking spree, but for a sex addict, it's just like, what's he do? And you just realize he's just, he's got to have more. It's not enough, not enough, it's not enough. And then finally he feels like, again, the film shows that rock bottom looks different for everybody. And boy, does he hit rock bottom. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I thought it was an outstanding movie. Um, I, I, it will probably be the first NC-17 movie that's owned by second one, because I own Requiem for a Dream. But, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Ethan, number two for you. My number two is Hugo from Martin Scorsese, which I think is a beautiful tribute to cinema that exposes why not only is early cinema great, why cinema is great right now, but also why the artist is such a bullshit movie. <laughs> Wow. Wow. Man. Don't hold back, Ethan. All right, well, first, first, Hugo. Please tell us why you'll think Hugo is the number two best film of the year. Well, I, I mentioned all my reasons, and I oh. think I think the movie is beautiful to look at, obviously. I mean, Scorsese always employ, employs the best craftsmen in the business. Uh, the story, with everything with Miliace, I found, I just found so moving. And it, in the film, it, it does it has an interesting kind of meta element to it through its use of 3D, where you're seeing these, you know, you're seeing Millier's early films projected in 3D, and you're being presented with this idea of these films. Their film cinema itself was thrown off as a gimmick at first, and 3D is kind of similar. And by Scorsese shooting these in 3D, he's kind of making a point about how we need to embrace this medium. Even though I don't love 3D, I thought that was incredibly interesting. And yeah, I, I really, at the end of this movie, I felt so just happy. It was hard to descri- describe to me. I had tears welling up behind my 3D glasses. <laughs> so yeah, I, I love that film so much. 
Well, I guess I should chime in because I know Jack Gregson was appalled that I didn't like this movie as much as everybody else did. Um, and this is one of these films that's that's uh, that's gotten a lot of love, and it deserves a lot of love. I agree. It is a real. It is Scorsese's love letter to cinema, classic cinema. And thank you, Mr. Scorsese, for making like every time I teach Hollywood history from now on, like half the movies I talk about are are visually referenced in this film. So it does me such a favor. Um, this is a movie that that loves the silent film and it loves the classic era film. Um, I had a hard time with the film. For one thing, it's based on one of my favorite books, The Invention of Hugo Cabret, and I just felt like tonally the film was not consistent. Um, I did not like any of the scenes with Sasha Baron Cohen. It has nothing to do with how I feel about him. I think he's a great actor. Um, but th- those scenes to me felt like they were right out of Steve Martin's Pink Panther movies. They just felt totally out of whack with the movie, and I didn't like his character. I didn't like the way it was played. I didn't like the whole thing with... Uh, uh, with M- Emily Mortimer, who I love as an actress, but I felt like that whole portion of the movie could have been lost. Um, I loved all the stuff with, with Ben Kingsley's Melee, and I loved all the recreations of the films that he did, and I thought those were wonderful. But for me, it was it was kind of uneven, I felt. Um, yeah, I, I, the great, great scenes, great stuff, and I agree, the 3D is definitely the best 3D we've seen all year in a film, um, if not if not since Avatar. Um, but for me, it was, it, it was not a miss, but... Uh, yeah, just for me, the, the parts of it were greater than the whole. Did you see it, okay. Dave? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. I've never been the biggest Scorsese fan, though, so. Really? Yeah. Not a Scorsese fan? I've, I've tried several of his movies, and it's just, you know, I, I gave him a shot, and it's not like I hate him, I can't stand him, it's just generally doesn't click with me all that much. Okay, okay. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. All right. We are up to, we're up to number one, aren't we? We are up to number one. Um, I think we're all. This is a unanimous decision for Screen Geeks. It's going to be a Screen Geeks three-way here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> in honor of shame, um, uh, Terrence Malick's The Tree of Life is my number one. Without gushing about it too long or whatever, I guess. I guess if I could say anything, um, uh, something I've been telling people. Uh, I saw it for the fourth time recently with my film class. I wanted to show it to them. Uh, you know, I start off with uh, a lot of the films in Hugo. I start off with The Great Train Robbery and and work my way up through the films of the of the, of the last hundred years or so. When I got to The Tree of Life, um, I kind of warned the class what it was. You know, it's funny. Like, it's one of these movies you love and you're also apologizing for. It's like, okay, this is what it is. This is what it's like. If you haven't seen a Malick film, this is what to expect. This is what to look for. You know, it's. I mean, it really is like preparing people for flight travel. You know, it's like, okay, you know, you know here are the exits and everything like that and after watching the film of my class i mean it was like it was like every other experience i've had where uh you know half the people thought like you know they've seen the sistine chapel for the first time and other people said that's the worst thing we've ever seen how dare you make us sit through that um what struck me about it was there's a moment in the film i I didn't even notice before this is my fourth time seeing it i love that every time what i'm getting with this story is that i love that every time i see the film i feel like i'm seeing it for the first time i'm I'm still experiencing new things i'm still seeing things i've never seen before when sean penn's character enters the afterlife if you want to call it that when he first is walking through uh those mountainous uh, through that mountainous landscape, and he's following somebody. He walks through that door frame that's not connected to anything. The first person he sees in the distance, I never noticed this. I don't know if you guys have seen this. Um, it's the little girl that he followed as a little boy. You know, hmm. early in the movie where he sees as a little boy, Jack is seeing that little girl in the classroom, and he's kind of walking, uh, following her as she's walking to her home, and he's kind of behind her, and he's clearly infatuated by her. She is the first person he sees in the afterlife. Um, and I just wanted to throw that out there because that was something I hadn't noticed. And this is my fourth time seeing the film. And this is the first time I ever saw it on a screen that wasn't huge. Um, this is a movie I'm still discovering and still completely in love with. Um, and to 
completely use critical hyperbole, and I even put this in my Maui Time review. Um, I know Sean Penn didn't get the film, doesn't know what he's doing in the movie, doesn't really get the film, and he's entitled to that opinion, and he's not alone, but I do feel this is one of the greatest films ever made, and I really do. Yeah, so I don't know how she does it was the same for me. (laughs) (laughs) Is that your nice way of saying you don't have a heck of a lot to add either? I guess, but yeah, I, I I think that Tree of Life is a towering cinematic achievement in yeah. every single way, and I I it's definitely going to be a film that stays with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's for me, it was Tree of Life, and then everything else this sure. year. Yeah. Um, this might turn into a fountain joke again, where it's you know it's the best film of the year for the next five years, but I, it's just such a powerful film. I, I would even I'm not going to say that but I could see myself saying that it, it just for me it's it's so much more than a film you know mm-hmm. it's one of these movies it really is an experience it really is this uh, this thing that's going to be different every time you watch it it's going to be different every time you watch it with people um, with all due respect to great American films like the Shawshank Redemption or The Godfather um, they offer an experience that's pretty general you know it's pretty general storytelling and the way it's presented uh, you kind of know you know who the audience is for Tree of Life is such a Rorschach test for everybody you know oh absolutely you know yeah, yeah. I, I want to throw up my my wife Julia. She liked uh, Melancholia a lot more than the Tree of Life. She loved Melancholia. <laughs> she didn't really like the Tree of Life, and I, and I say that not only because I think it's just a great testimony testament to my wife's really great and eclectic taste, but that's just the, kind of the way Tree of Life is. It just it, it, you know you never know who's going to like it, who's going to respond to it. It's mm-hmm. like great poetry. It's like great music. It's like great cinema. You know, it's just it's different for everybody. Um, but you know, I this is art. You know, this this is film art, and and wow, you know. It, a Brad Pitt movie released by 20th Century Fox in 2011 is is like this. You know, that's that's a great thing. That makes me very optimistic about the future of American cinema. I think that's a heck of a way to go out on the note. <laughs> a good note to go out on. Um, wow, you have just under two hours. That's not too bad. Last thing I want to add. Last thing. Shay Kennedy called. Uh, he's oh, been no. on our show. He's, yes. He was on our show in 2006. This is our friend from Hawaii. He loves us, loves our show. He wanted to add that he thought the worst film of 2011 was Conan the Barbarian, which I did not see. I didn't bother yet. Um, I heard it was dreadful. And his pick for best. And I thought it was going to end up in your best list, which is why I wanted to throw this out. His, he thought the best film of 2011 was by far The Muppets. I love The Muppets. <laughs> it's a great movie. <laughs> that, that and Winnie the Pooh hurt to cut for my top ten list. Yeah, that's those both are going to be on your list actually yeah they're both fine fine films just didn't quite work out yeah and i guess last question for the for all of us uh was there one film you guys thought was especially underrated uh, that's down on our top 10 list that that deserved a you know deserves a second look man i i have an honorable mentions list please let's hear it it's like 20 movies though i'll just run run through (laughs) it yeah run through them Okay, 13 Assassins, yep. The Adventures of Tintin, The Arbor, Contagion, The Descendants, Detention, Essential Killing, Fast Five, The Future, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Kill List, Meek's Cutoff, Moneyball, Rango, Rise of the Planet of the Apes, The Skin I Live In, Sleeping Beauty, Terry, Tinker Tailor, Soldier Spy, and The Turin Horse. Thank you. Great list, wow. man. Man, Skin I Live In was my favorite foreign language film of last year. The Separation has a Separation has been getting all the, the kudos, and I, I understand that. I do, but I love The Skin I Live In. And I'm actually going to go see Kill List uh, in a couple weeks. It opens in Denver. I was just telling Dave about that. I'm really excited to see it. Right on. Uh, mine, you know, 13 Assassins was on almost made my list, too, because it's just such a... It's such a restrained film from Mia K, especially for him. I mean, it's still got the twisted Mia K touches, but it's so good. Yeah. Uh, that, Winnie the Pooh, Muppets... I'm um, trying to remember what else. I cut a bunch of movies off off my list. Those are probably the three that came to mind. That's good enough for me. Okay. Well, real quickly for me then, uh, Michelle Gondry's 
the Green Hornet. I know how you guys feel about this movie. I liked it because it was something different. I thought it was a real uh, snarky and uh, I, I liked to uh, – I, I really – what can I say? I like the film. I've already talked enough about it. Um, and then the one I really want to go on a really go out on a limb for because this movie gets it's really terribly horribly mismanaged. And that was Bruce Robinson's The Rome Diary. Not a perfect film. It's certainly hit and miss. Um, but this is the first film from the director of With Nail and I and uh, How to Get Ahead in Advertising in 20 Years. This is the film, of course, based on the Hunter S. Thompson book. It's a prequel. It is a prequel to uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. It's about how Hunter S. Thompson became Hunter S. Thompson. It was advertised as this big, rollicking comedy. In fact, like even the even the poster tried to look like The Hangover. This movie deserved to live and die in the art house. It never should have been released in like 2,000 screens. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is a little, little film. Um, but it it is a period piece. It's a film that really captures his time. It captures a young man uh, basically becoming Hunter S. Thompson. Got great side performances by Aaron Eckhart and Giovanni Ribisi and Richard Jenkins. Um, I highly recommend The Rum Diary, especially if you're a fan of Fear and Loathing, if you're a fan of Hunter S. Thompson. This movie is essential. I thought it had a great performance by Johnny Depp that went overlooked by everybody. This is one of these films I think is going to be a cult film. I think when people discover it, they'll see that, you know, this is this is a movie that just, it's not a rollicking comedy. It really deserved to be seen by a small people but i i think a cult following in the future is assured right on the one movie from 2010 i wished i could have added because i saw it in 2011 was the man from nowhere i gotta mm. throw that one out there that was what I, I debated because i know some critics were like screw it i saw it in 2011 it's going on my 2011 list and i just you know there were enough good movies this year i couldn't quite justify it but i think superfan mark smith i think that's probably on still on his top 10 yeah he loved that film. yeah it's an yeah. outstanding film so yep. yeah all right cool anything else you want to add to last minute ethan overrated the artist yeah <laughs> Let's talk about this for just a minute. Why? No, no, no. Let's not, and it's not on my top ten list, and I agree with you. I think it is overrated, but I certainly don't have any venom for it. Why Why do you dislike it so much? Because I, I think it's an insult to silent films. Really? Yeah. Why, why an insult? Because it, 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 sh- it just takes the most basic elements. It doesn't actually, it's not actually at all like a silent film. Look at the camera movement. Look at the, the, most of the cinematography, most of the acting style. It's like such a soulless, shameless appropriation. And I think maybe a lot of my dislike of it comes from how much like awards bodies are, are throwing attention towards it. Sure. Which I think are for all the wrong reasons. But yeah, I really like I, I really like Jean Dujardin, but for the most part, I, I really am baffled by the praise for this movie. The the harshest thing I have to say about the film, and I I'm someone who really liked the film, but I I do think it is it's just it's a stunt. It's a very I thought of a very well done stunt. Um, I really, th- but I I do disagree with you categorically about some of the other things you mentioned. I I thought that Malcolm McDowell and John Goodman and Penelope Ann Miller and James Cromwell certainly looked very period. I thought they I thought their performances really had the feel like a silent kind of era film. Um, I think the whole bit of bang, what the the twist at the end of what bang really is, I thought that was kind of a cheap shot. Um, and no question, I mean, I just I feel it's more of a movie that it feels almost like more of a studio a student rather a student film than like like some big you know, uh, awards-worthy film in praise of the silent era. But no, I, I thought, bottom line, it was a really engaging comedy. I certainly loved Desjardins' performance, and I loved, uh, I loved, loved the trajectory of his character. I liked the film a lot, but uh, interesting that he disliked the artist so much. All right, then. But I admit, huh. the, the dog was cheap, though. I mean, it's one of these movies that just, like, overuses a dog for, like, well, the aww it's the whole, effect. like, because everyone the audience will go, aww. Yeah, that, I agree. That was totally cheap. <laughs> very, very cheap. 
All right then. Okay. Well, uh, next. Well, well, wait a minute. We've got we've got this week's releases still to do. All right. What's hitting theaters this weekend, sir? This weekend is uh, Stephen Daltrey's "Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close," starring Tom Hanks and Sandra Bullock. Where the streets have no name. <laughs> Thank you. I uh, I have a few things to say about that film next week. <laughs> uh, Are they nice? <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. It's like I can't. I don't. Can't say anything. I, I, I'm can't seeing anything. it next week too. All right. So. Good. We'll have we'll have stuff to talk about. Definitely. Uh, Steven Soderbergh's Haywire, which I've heard terrific things about. I'm looking forward it to looks this one. Fun. I've yeah. heard good things about this one. Um, one of the big question marks of the year: uh, the George Lucas produced Red Tails. My manager at work actually saw this in San yeah? Francisco, and she said it was great. Great. I. And here's the thing: like, I hope it's terrific. I mm-hmm. do. The Tuskegee Airmen is such an important historical story. The cast is good, um, but of course this is the movie that lucas did not direct but he basically pulled from the director and recut it and reshot most of it himself so like you know and it's opening in january i mean this could go either way but i yeah. would love for red tails to be great and i'd love for it to be successful because there's so many things working against it but for pete's sake it's the first like non-star wars lucasfilm movie and and who knows how long so 30 40 years if, if 40 that, years yeah. almost gosh Good. yeah yeah I, I seriously hope yeah or like 30, since 30, like 30. well since uh, radio land murders which nobody saw 20 years ago oh okay but I, yeah that's probably didn't even know he made that okay. but it's, it's okay most people don't even know that limited release you got coriolanus as i mentioned i thought it was one of the best films of 2011 and uh, one of the most successful films ever made from, made in China and certainly one of the most expensive films ever made from China. This is Zhang Yimou's The Flowers of War. It stars Christian Bale. This movie's going to be getting a lot of press. Um, it, it could be an Oscar film. It, it might not be. It's been getting really mixed reviews, but uh, I'm really curious about that film. So that's in theaters. On DVD, you've got Real Steel. Real surprise, sort of thing, for everybody involved. It's, Surprisingly, uh, didn't suck. Yeah, actually a very good film. Uh, 50-50 with Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Seth Rogen. I thought it was a very good film. Um, I didn't see Paranormal Activity 3. Did you guys? <laughs> no. No, I didn't see it. Uh, on Criterion, Godzilla. What a great release yes. on, on Criterion. Thank you. Godzilla, King of Monsters, the Japanese version, now available on Criterion. Uh, the Whistleblower, starring Rachel Weisz, the shocking film about human trafficking. Revenge of the Electric Car, the sequel to the acclaimed documentary. Good stuff. Another documentary, U2, from the sky down. That, that's for Josh. Uh, Restless, which I know, Ethan, you've talked about, the Gus Van Sant film uh, with uh, Dennis Hopper's son. Forgive me. I think it's Henry Hopper? Yeah, yeah, and uh, and uh, somebody else. Uh, but I've heard. But Ethan says it's good. I want to see it because it's Gus Van Sant, despite the fact that Mia Wasikowska is in it. There it is. I said it. Uh, but I will give it a shot. I need to. I want to love that actress so badly, but I just, I just don't. Um, the aforementioned film, The Woman, by uh, Lucky McGee. The Woman, yeah, The Woman. <sighs> Yeah. Back, back to the good stuff on Criterion Francesco Francesco Rossi's The Moment of Truth this is his 1964 bullfighting movie I've heard that it's the best bullfighting movie ever made like awesome <laughs> okay. like better than Talk to Her so I, I want to see this film um, Another Happy Day this is an ensemble drama starring Ellen Barkin and Demi Moore um, Shut Up Little Man Shut Up Little Man is an awesome documentary that I've heard so much about I can't wait to see it this is about a guy who basically recorded his neighbors fighting in his apartment next door and made a movie out of it he recorded their fights because they were so loud okay. and, and basically reenacted it. Yeah. No. Yeah, Keith Garcia oh. programmed this over at the, the film center. Apparently, it's really great. Okay. Uh, movie you and I have talked about, Sarah Palin, You Betcha. This is the is anti-Palin it? documentary yeah, okay, coming out. And then finally, on Blu-ray, you've got uh, Notorious, one of Hitchcock's greatest films. Uh, Rebecca, the only Hitchcock film to win Best Picture in 1940 with mm-hmm. Lawrence Olivia. Great film, Rebecca. Um, also Hitchcock's Spellbound. Yep. 
And then you've got Woody Allen's Annie Hall, Best Picture winner in 1977. And then the film he did right after that, I think is an even better film, Manhattan. Love Manhattan from 1979. Um, also on Blu-ray's uh, uh, Wings from 1927, the first film that ever won Best Picture. So there you go. There's the trivia question right there. Wings, the first movie to ever win Best Picture in 1927. It's okay. Uh, a very different film, Stripes, starring Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the great, certainly the last great Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor uh, team up, see no evil, hear no evil, very funny. Um, their second film ever teamed up together, Stir Crazy, and a movie that Ethan has been very fond and affectionate of uh, that I can't quite share his enthusiasm of, but I will give it another shot. That is The Toy, Richard Donner's The Toy, starring Richard Pryor and Jackie Gleason. And Schwartz, the little boy Schwartz from uh, Christmas Story. All right, then. Yeah, so there you go. Okay. A little of everything. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll we'll call it for the week. Uh, if you want to shoot us an email, go ahead. By all means, do. Podcast, Barry, Ethan, or Dave, all at ScreenGeeks.com. We want to hear if you agree with this. We want to hear if you disagree with this. I'm sure you disagree with this. And, oh, uh, I'm yeah, sure. We definitely want to hear what you think. Yes. And uh, next week, we're going to be talking about the movies that we're looking forward to most for 2012. Yep. Uh, before the Mayans say we're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> you know that they don't. I don't know. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> Anyhow, let, let, we need to just let this die. This, this episode. Yeah, it's two hours. Yeah, good enough for me. All right. Uh, where did the sounder go? Oh, helps if I actually have the software up. it. You know, I, okay. I have to stall. We've had a few problems. It's all good. All right. Till next week. This is Dave. This is Barry. This is the Golden Globe Awards. <laughs> <laughs> Take it easy.